do you want to deal with the bad stuff first or the good stuff? Yeah, you know what? Why don't we start with the uh, why don't we start with the the garbage stuff and then we will pivot so. to the good stuff and finish on a on a happy note. Why don't we do that? That's I like that. The, okay. The garbage stuff has really fucking annoyed me all day today. Um, like I, I'll, I'll put it this way. It was bad enough when, remember how, okay, remember how even after um, CNN and um, the New York Times, even after the Ottawa Citizen and a number of other publications, I wrote stories about uh, how there is an actual neo-Nazi battalion. And it, I'll, I'll get into the, the my annoyance with calling it a single battalion. Um, I'll get into that in a second. But there was multiple stories about how there is a neo-Nazi battalion that's being funded with money from Canada and the U.S. Like actual public funds are being used to finance a military detachment that is entirely composed of neo-Nazis. And that was an alarming fact. The Guardian reported on this. A number of publications reported on this. And then um, when the invasion of uh, Ukraine began, all of a sudden, those stories disappeared. And then it was, well, okay, fine. Maybe there is a neo-Nazi detachment. Yeah, okay. But they represent, at first it was like 1% of all of uh, Ukraine's armed forces. Then it was like 5% or some shit. It's always some low single-digit number. But it's like, yeah, you know, your fears are overblown because they only represent X percent of the Ukrainian military. And then it was, okay, fine. They do represent an uncomfortable portion because, hey, we've always been the ones ourselves to say that if you, if there are 10 people seated at a table and a Nazi sits at the table, you now have a table of 11 Nazis. Yeah, that was us that said that. Yeah, it was us that talked about punching Nazis is always good. Yeah, it was, it was us that said that shit. But can we table that for the time being? Because Russia is the greater threat than Nazis. As a matter of fact, Putin is worse than Hitler by orders of magnitude because he's committed, I don't know, not only has he committed genocide, but he's used chemical weapons when even Adolf Hitler didn't use chemical weapons. I'm not bullshitting you. This is what they actually say. And then it's, oh, oh by the way, so I wake up this morning and I, I hear on CP24 uh, reported completely uncritically and un, like with a complete lack of self-awareness that the Azov Battalion out of Mariupol, which, by the way, they have been, like, drummed out of Mariupol. Like, the uh, the Chechens are flying their own flags. You can see Ramzan Kadyrov's face um, flying over city centers in Mariupol right now because after talking about how they were going to... Um, they, they greased bullets in pig lard for the Kadyrov orcs. After going through all of that, uh, showmanship and bullshit talk about how much they're going to fuck up the Chechens. The Chechens handed their asses to them. I'm talking about they washed these niggas. Oh, sorry. They washed these people. <laughs> and uh, now now that now that they've been com- like almost completely dispersed in Mariupol, now the accusation is that the Russians are using chemical weapons. And I heard this reported. I, I woke up to this. I literally woke up um, because I fell asleep on the couch watching a tutorial video on I can't even remember what. And I woke up to my wife. She she comes downstairs and does her meditations and then does her 
for workouts, and she'll put the news on. And I hear a CP24 anchor saying that the Azov Battalion reports that Russians are using chemical weapons in Mariupol. And I almost lost my fucking mind. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much where we are now. It's yeah, there there aren't any there aren't any neo-Nazis to all right, there are some neo-Nazis, but not that many to all right, we are putting weapons in the hands of many neo-Nazis to we should listen to the neo-Nazis and what they say about the Russians because the Russians are worse. Yeah. Yeah, um and 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 let's remember that some of these are the same people the same exact people in many cases who were complaining about the truckers convoy in Ottawa in January or whatever February having like one swastika flag right yeah um sorry did you say something i i didn't hear no i was saying that only a couple of weeks earlier they were saying that shit yeah exactly so i mean like literally just having one swastika flag which I also think was a very bad thing. I don't, I'm not condoning it. Uh, and at the time, I, I absolutely spoke up against that as well. And then a few weeks later, when actual Nazis started to be uh, platformed, you know, on all over media and all being armed by our governments, I was also against that. I don't understand why there's, you know, the same people who are against one fucking swastika flag in, uh, you know, in this entire trucker's convoy. Um, are fine with actual Nazis who like tie people up and brand people with swastikas and you know are doing this stuff and have been bombing and shelling and killing people for shoot prisoners of war in the legs and let them bleed out, literally raping people that they they uh, that they suspect of being Russian uh, sympathizers and Russian collaborators that they. They uh, they have shoulder patches styled in the form of the Nazi wolf's angel that they are Islamophobic, that they they uh, put up signs all around their neighborhoods um, as testaments to uh, the brave um, Zaporozhian Cossacks, you know, the very same people that were instituting pogroms against Jewish people for centuries in that country. I I, yeah, these are the people that we ought to listen to about what Russia's doing in terms of warfare. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, just real quick, we can we can get back on that rant, but I also want to be cognizant of the fact that uh, Johnny is in the queue and has been waiting patiently for a little bit. Um, I do want to get my I do want to get my vent out, but I also want to make sure that uh, Johnny gets to say, you can go ahead and unmute. Uh, tap the, there you go. All right. Well, Thank you both for take, taking my call. Um, yeah, so kind of this is a question that's still forming, but um, it's about nomenclature because, you know, like if I think about what I identify with most purely in terms of politics, it would be like probably Marxism, communism might be like the second on the list. But if I say that to most people that I know, it's horrifying. They reel back because you know, Cuba and all these like terribly painted empires in our mind. But then, you know, like Donald Trump, everybody's compared to Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And, you know, if you're intolerant, then the extreme to that is being a Nazi. Well, I just, I'm curious if now that Nazi doesn't mean anything, now that we don't care and we're actively participating in funding Nazis, um, 
in my position should like for just some advice, not like a pure answer, but um, you know, like, do I need to care so much about nomenclature anymore? Or are they just going to pick a side and rationalize anything that happens on that side? Um, because I'm like, I'm just wondering if I should present myself as a Marxist so that there's no question of where my beliefs stand. Or I also don't want to, I don't want those same people to recoil. But now that those people aren't recoiling from Nazis, I don't, I don't really know where I stand. Well, um, thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, um, you know, it's like just team sports, you know, it's just for some people, they don't actually know what words mean. So, right. you know, for them, it's just like Nazis were the other team. And now we and by we, I mean, you know, liberals and Western governments and NATO governments. Uh, now they're on the side of the Nazis again, which they actually kind of always were. We can get into the history of that. Actually, if you if you study the beginning of uh, NATO, Excuse me. Many of the people who were like the heads of NATO were actually Nazis that were brought over by the U.S. So I, I encourage people to look up Operation Paperclip and Operation Bloodstone. Um, 1,600 Nazis, actual Nazis from Nazi Germany, were brought to the United States and put to work for NASA, NATO, and various other agencies. Um, anyway, so what's happening, I think, with some people is that you know, the media, they just listen to the media. The media is like the, uh, you know, the sermons, right? And you just believe it quietly. You don't question it. It's sacrilegious to question what the media is telling you by media. It doesn't matter whether it's MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, um, you know, or, or Fox News, if you happen to be a little bit more uh, <laughs> xenophobic towards other people. But um, but if you think you're not xenophobic, you think you're very liberal, progressive, you care about the gays, you care about the BLM and all that, but you still somehow just listen to the media to tell you don't actually think critically, you wait for the media to like digest the food for you and tell, and then, you know, give, like deposit it in your mouth so you can just swallow it. Um, <clears throat> for those people, yeah, like it's, it's, it's slowly, as Q said, there's been this uh, uh, pretty obvious transition between even just like January of this year to now, where right. we started with one swastika flag is bad and we should just cancel <laughs> all of the truckers. We should right. arrest their right. bank accounts. We should, you know, denounce them. And now we are at, let's listen to what the Nazis have to say about what's actually happening in Ukraine. I mean, like, literally, if you think about those two things where we are and where we were, it is incredible um, to even think about how we got here. So, um, yeah. Truly, I, I mean, I guess the their crux here is just like real clear communication and having the time to like talk with people because I feel like if you tie that thread of just asking people well do you think the Nazi flag and the truckers convoy was bad okay what about this one pedallion you know battalion and one percent five percent now a large portion of their army that we're funding we can't get Medicare for all we can't get free college we can't get all these social programs here. Hey, yo, just... The United States cut uh, COVID relief. There was $15 billion worth of uh, COVID funding that the United States just said, eh, we can't, we can't afford it. I mean, how are you going to And then it turned it? around and gave $13.6 billion in t- for, for lethal aid <laughs> I know. to Ukraine. They gave your COVID funding away. What the? And people are still going yeah. along with this. 
Yeah. <laughs> pandemic. It's not like a million people <clears throat> died. Or- well, I don't know if you guys know this, but the pandemic actually ended when Russia invaded Ukraine. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, yeah, right. apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed that. But I, I, Putin although, is. although, no, I was in I was in New York City uh, last week, as I mentioned, and I will say that there were still, I, I think, preventative measures that uh, that were mandated. Like you couldn't be in any area. You couldn't be in like the train station. You couldn't be on the ferry. Uh, there's a lot of places that you couldn't be on the subway. Like you had to wear your mask um, in most places. But uh, as for what they were doing in terms of uh, public safety and health, well, as far as I saw, it, uh, Eric Adams paid a bunch of cops a shitload of overtime pay to wreck homeless encampments. That's, that's oh. about all I remember from that. He was. Oh, man. <clears throat> well, thanks. I know there's somebody else in the queue. I'll let you guys get to Rudy. Oh, oh good. Uh, and uh, just, to, just yeah. to answer your question, I mean, there's a reason why last, uh, sorry, not last year, two years ago, you know, I said, to hell with this socialist shit. Like, I'm not calling myself a socialist. And I mean, I am right. technically a socialist. I got, that hasn't changed. But I'm no longer going to engage in, like, I'm not going to apologize for having communist beliefs. I'm just a communist. Like, that's... Okay. That's actual Thank factual. You. And a lot of people a lot of people don't like hearing that. They don't like that word. They they think that it's uh, it's too harsh. They think of like Stalin and Chairman Mao when right. they just right. like right. Yeah, yeah, they was real. They was they was actual real communists. You should be proud of their achievements. But um yeah, a lot of people get scared off by that stuff. And I think a lot of unprincipled people are worried about folks being scared by the word communism. They're like, no, like that's that's what the purpose of socialism is, is to move towards a dissolution of the state. That's what the purpose of well, communism and is. Another thing, Johnny, is that, yeah. you know, I think the best antidote to like misinformation or ignorance is education. So if people right. don't, you know, people have this like knee jerk sort of reaction because they don't know what these words mean. They don't know what communism or socialism mean. So if you like learn the, you know, the sort of the, the actual like meaning and understand like what it means, you know, like not just like the sort of pop culture meaning, but actually what Marx wrote, what Lenin wrote, what Stalin and Mao even wrote and others, many others, uh, you will have like the tools, you'll be able to say, well, communism is actually not what you think it is. It's actually when workers control everything and they get to decide what gets made and how and and you know how much they work and they own everything they control workers the people who do the work control the means of production and there's no power above them they're the power and if you explain it like that maybe people you know at least some people might understand it better or at least you know you can then refer them to resources like i have this really great book called um what is marxism all about it's really excellent uh-huh. um if, if you follow me on twitter i can I'll, I'll i'll retweet it so you can see it but um you know it's, it has some very very simple language explanations of these words that i think that is important because if you if we don't a lot of people are literally un uh uneducated about what these words actually mean they just heard it as boogeyman in movies or tv or whatever you know so right I think it's a, right part of it is actually learning ourselves and then teaching others you know, not maybe formally teaching people, but using, being able to use very like accessible, easy language to explain these terms. I think that really helps sometimes. Well, thank you both so much because that's the kind of thing is like, I don't want to scare anybody off with this, with the C word or the M word, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, that's 
Wait, what, where's, what, where's, you, what, where's you talking about, bro? <laughs> Communist. <laughs> I got a while to be. <laughs> Communism and Marxism. Sounds like you got some words in your vocabulary you might have to ditch after all. <laughs> the M word, Marxism and Communism. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I, said, okay I, thought said, N, I thought you said C word and N word. I was like, hey, yo, maybe you should be yeah. using words. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, so, uh, yeah, just uh, check out. I just posted it on Twitter again. So, if you look, up, look me up on Twitter, which is on my profile, there's a link to my Twitter. Well, um, respectfully, I, I don't. I don't have Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. This is like the oh, only social media that you. I do. Good for you. Okay, yeah. good. well, that's fine. Then you know what? Go to uh, just go to workers.org. That's the website, and look okay. for a book called "What Is Marshall?" So wait, you don't have Twitter or you don't have Twitter. You don't have Instagram and Facebook. All you have is Colin. Yeah, I have Colin. You know, I have wow. uh, email services. I do have a Facebook account. I just never ever use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides that, no, I. I'm a full-time student and I own my own company and I'm just busy. So I don't have a lot of time for scrolling. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's oh, good. good. I actually, you. I, I admire and envy you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys yeah. are doing God's work in a totally different way. Cause you guys are obviously reaching way more people than I am. I can hop in here for a couple minutes, but what you guys are doing, you're actually disseminating information. So in, I respect what you guys are doing gratefully. And I just hope you guys don't, give more than you get from what you're doing because what you're doing is amazing and, and the answers that you both gave me have really helped and contextualized some of the more uh like amorphous feelings and ideas i've had where it's like well i don't want to apologize i don't want to pretend like what we're doing as a country every transaction that i make and i pay taxes for i'm pretty pissed off about where that money is going and where it's yeah. not going and how we are making conscious decisions every time we vote blue no matter who and it's that kind of complacency that I just want to shake some cages and kind of rattle some things out. But I also don't want to, like I said, scare people away and just be that typical, you know, angry protester. But at the same time, if people aren't scared, they're not going to do anything because it seems like making the right choice is kind of a niche. And it has been for centuries. You know, it hasn't really been the rule that people are great and work together well. And all the cultures that did do that we've completely, you know, or we've mostly wiped them out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, that's what uh, folks like Kieran and myself are here for. We're here, we're here to bring that back. We're here to bring back that revolutionary education. Totally. And, and I, I just really put a link to the thing I was talking about. I just put a link in the chat room for this live, for this call in here. So you can check it there. All right. All right. I'll click on it from here. Well, thanks a bunch. I really appreciate it, you guys. Thank you so yeah, much. Appreciate you're welcome. It. Have a good one. Take care. Okay. Bye. All right, okay. yo. Uh, oh my gosh. Oh, hey, Lucy's in the house too. Okay, uh, Rudy, what's up? Uh, how, how you doing? You, you can go ahead and unmute. Uh, with there you go. Hey, how you guys doing? Good, good. Good, good. How are you? Pretty good. Um, I was just listening to you guys speak, and the thing that was just coming to my head is just the level of just cognitive dissonance we have in the U.S., I guess, Canada in the West. Um, it's it's insane. It's it's like, I, I keep thinking 1984, but it's so multi-layered that it's crazy. Like, we're the most sort of sensitive people to anything Nazi, but we're also the most, like, we're s- somehow able to just look at, just look aside when there's a genocide. When we're, you know, it's we're talking about how, it's crazy that people are starving 
in Ukraine and how human beings cannot be starved, how nobody's done crazy stuff like this since Hitler, but we're literally starving Afghanistan. And it, it's just, and it, I mean, this isn't um, the 1800s. This, we got Google, you know, this is, all this information is right there, but somehow we're, it's like our minds are trapped. We're just, the bubbles we're in are just, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, I don't know what day of the week I wake up and don't think that exact same thing. Uh, so <laughs> I, 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 I get what you're saying. I guess the, I guess the important part for all of us, and I was actually talking to Karen about this, um, before we opened up the room today, uh, cause somebody didn't want to do the room because she was in a shit mood because of not only all of the bad news, but, uh, stuff that's, that's happening to people who might even be Ukrainian themselves, but don't have the right politics, right. as it were. Uh, so the, the the important part is to not, like, the way that the, the world is designed, like the way that capitalism is designed, is so that it grinds you into nothing. And on the one hand, I completely get that feeling of, I don't know, it, it goes from like depression to almost hopelessness. And on the other hand, it's also the responsibility of people who know better to say something and not to like, you know, cause like the, the capitalist machine is never going to change its character. You know, it's never going to give up. It's never going to stop doing exactly what it's doing. It's fulfilling its intended purpose right now. So your responsibility is to be armed with education and rhetoric so that you can counter it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny though, because you know, these people that these people, only understand to the extent that they can just throw off at any conversation. It's like you start having a conversation with the with an adult, and suddenly they're just flinging at you. Oh, this is a Nazi! But you're like, okay, yeah, exactly, because these people are Nazis. We should not be arming them. But you know, but Vladimir Putin's a Nazi. But then you just said that Nazi and <laughs> crazy. the word is meaningless. Though, like. And I knew this a while back um, when uh, when when I was like talking to people who uh, claim to be like former Nazis and former fascists and so on. And then they rebrand themselves as anti-fascists, but they tend to have the same kind of um, like chauvinistic and uh, I would say like borderline racist attitudes towards people of color, especially ones that don't trust them. So uh, you'll you'll find a lot of like anti-fash people, quote unquote, um, will like they'll brand themselves experts on fascism and tell them, well, if you want to combat fascism, you have to listen to me, a former fascist. Uh, and if you have any problems with me or the things that I'm saying or the fact that I'm providing cover for a lot of other former fascists and that we're actually making money doing this, well, you're you're the actual problem because you don't really want to combat fascism. And it's like, no, I can I can see exactly what it is that you're doing. Like you're you're playing a game uh and it works really well with white people especially and that's that they they want to believe that people like them can be redeemed um but they won't offer the same benefit of the doubt especially for redemption to anybody else and they work off of that and uh one of the, the things that they often do is adopt this sort of three arrows mentality where you know they're against nazism they're against fascism but they're also against communism say so, whoa, 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 whoa a second so by being against communism you're boomeranging right back into the other two oftentimes and this is the end result of that 
is that it's like, well, okay, 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 fine. There are some fascists out there in the world. Yeah, true. We, I used to be one of them. I know that there are fascists. But sometimes, sometimes you have to make alliances with the fascists to defeat the greater evil. I mean, really, like, do 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 you not want to engage in harm reduction? Do you not believe in harm reduction yourself? Or are you a fascist sympathizer? And that's That's pretty much how like that game works is that you have yeah. to um you have to work politically on their terms and you always have to back down from your own principles especially if your principles have anything to do with communism you always have to apologize for it back down and compromise whereas they never i mean they i can't exactly call what they do compromising because they don't have uh, principles in the first place but they always to, they always seem to end up getting the exact result that they want to yeah. which is putting weapons in the hands of extremists to make sure that regardless of how much damage is done, um, the the capitalist hegemony is never upset. I've never had better words to describe what Bernie Sanders and the SWAT is doing. Like that's exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, and we're yeah. we'll talk, we're going to talk about that in a sec too, because especially for uh, people that you know claim to be on the side of workers, I mean, I I didn't really see them doing or saying much of anything as this like massive unionization effort. Uh, I never saw them saying anything until it bore fruit, until it was successful. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. So, yep. yeah, that's, I, that's that's pretty much the way I, the game goes. I, I want to get your your frustrations on this thing, too, because as a black person, it just irks me when I see black people dancing for the Democratic Party. And in ways that leave black people more, I guess, um, in in danger, I suppose, you know, so right now they got black people selling this war, talking about yeah. how black, it's, it's... Oh, yeah, Terrell Starr is like one of the biggest cheerleaders, and people are so proud of him. And I'm just like, y- you all are, uh, I mean, a bunch of words that I wouldn't repeat on this show. Um, but it, it does, it doesn't just annoy me, it infuriates me. Right. And, they... and what, I'll, what I'll also say is that, like, I was actually having a conversation with a, a good friend of mine, uh, and, and one of my co-hosts, uh, T, uh, with mm-hmm. uh, Media Masochists and Champagne Sharks. Yeah. And he sent me a message this morning, um, and it was it was about a a, a trans woman um, that had named Jesse Single as one of the people that is most responsible in popular culture, at least aside from J.K. Rowling. But um, that Jesse Single is one of the people that is most responsible for the current genocide against trans people. And he asked, you know, he's like, "What do you think of this?" And I said, "This is actually." This annoys me, but for a reason that you probably wouldn't expect. It annoys me that where it comes to black people, we will often um, try to, quote unquote, get a seat at the table or try to enter the establishment so that we can affect positive change. And rather than naming enemies for what they are, like we can name enemies in the abstract. We can talk about the system. We can talk about white supremacy. We can talk about some some of them have even gotten into anti-capitalism lately, although that's still a bit of a tough sell. But they always talk about white supremacy in the system. And the easy part about that is that you never actually have to name who your enemies actually are. So somebody can be a part of the patriarchy or rather the, the patriarchy exists, but you never really know who's a part of the patriarchy. A really good example of this was I'm not sure if you remember Kara Delevingne, obviously not a, not a black person, but I think it's a pretty good example. Remember uh, Kara Delevingne went to the, the Met Gala wearing a, a shirt that said Peg the Patriarchy? And then there was like a huge 
uh, kerfluffle about like you know uh, why are you using the word pegging as like you know violent and emasculating when you know uh, like uh, female on male anal sex is I mean there's nothing wrong with that like that's what some people are into and the fact that you're making it into some sort of like violent emasculation is the is, is part of the problem but like it it kind of went in a sideways direction where I think the the real conversation to be had there was what the fuck are you doing at the Met Gala with a shirt like that? Like, what, what is it, what is that, what is it doing for anybody? What is it actually accomplishing? Um, are you, are you actually fighting the patriarchy by being at the Met Gala? You, Carrie Delevingne, who like is descended from fucking royalty, like literal uh, British aristocracy. What, what are you doing? And uh, then she shows up um, at a party with New York mayor, Eric Adams, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, so at the Met Gala, you're talking about Peg the Patriarchy, but then the actual proprietor of the fucking patriarchy in New York City, uh, like the, the person that I think probably best encompasses that as an actual human being, you're partying next to him. What the fuck does that mean? Right. And I, and I, I think that's, that's very indicative of the way that uh, people will talk about these ideas in the abstract, but can never name the specifics and never name the people. So what annoyed me about that wasn't, that anybody was uh, talking about Jesse Single as a proprietor of genocide against trans people. I think if trans people see him as an enemy, then they should name him as an enemy. It's not, it's not up to me to tell them whether he is or not. I think it's a, it's a good thing. Which is what annoys me, though, is that for a lot of black people, they'll talk about like hating these ideas in the abstract, but they will never, like, they'll name safe enemies like Donald Trump, uh, you know, and, and, and Bill Barr and various, like, state, governors and Congress people that are oftentimes Republican, are they ever going to talk about the people that um, are uh, gentrifying them out of their homes? Are they ever I, going to talk about people that are exploiting their labor? Are they ever going to, they'll talk about police. Yes. But are they going to talk about black people that want to work with the police in their communities? They, no, they, no, they won't do that. And then will they call people out the way that trans people call out Caitlyn Jenner? Well, like Caitlyn Jenner in the trans community is persona non grata. She's been effectively excommunicated. Well, black people do that with their own. If you have, let's say, like uh, a fellow in New York, in the Bronx, uh, Richie, I forget his last name, um, but, you know, the, uh, an arch Zionist um, that represents, Richie Torres, that represents a black and Latino community, but is like a running dog for Israel. Are people going to name him as an enemy and call him out? No, they won't do that because they're afraid to do it. So okay. it's not just the the whole dancing for Democrats that bothers me. It's 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 us, not the dancing. It's for, uh, what the dancing represents. As black people, sorry, go were, ahead. Were the original Jews, remember? <laughs> well, <laughs> depending on you know who who on the street corner you're listening to, right? You know, <laughs> the original Hebrew Asiatic man, like you know, there's there's some of those uh, <laughs> Hebrew Israelites, which whatever the fuck. But yeah, I, I mean, they're definitely not in the same league as people that are like, you know, twerking their way to the polls. I, I just think that that shit is, it's not just embarrassing to me. It's, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really feel embarrassed by it because I don't really give a shit what white people or anybody else thinks. What's embarrassing to me is that like, that is the example that they're setting to other people. Like that's, that is people's oftentimes their, their entrance, their, their um, foot in the door to the political conversation and seeing shit like that. That is deeply embarrassing. Right. Like you like what what are you teaching young people about politics that you have to buck like literally fucking buck dance for the same people that will turn around the following year and say we need to fund the police 
right after a year in which they named, they said George Floyd and Breonna Taylor are on the ballot. They named, they called on the names of right. our dead right. martyrs, right, and Ooh. and. And, and use that as leverage to get us to give them what they wanted. And as soon as they got it, they turned around and said, well, we need to fund the police. Like, fuck that. And I think anybody who's talking about, like, twerking the way to the polls, but also anybody who is uh, talking about the importance of voting right now because the, the, the uh, Republicans could come back and take the Senate. You know what? Go fuck yourselves, right? Like, you've already shown yourselves to be who you are. And anybody that's still defending that shit, to me, is also a political enemy. This is what I, what I like to tell people is, the United States is racist because um, it poisoned uh, Flint residents. And then black people would oftentimes agree, my friends would agree, that, um, yeah, yeah that's racist. And I said, actually, Barack Obama went out there, pretended to drink the water. Yeah. And, you know, and then it turns around completely. Oh, you know, Barack, he can't, he can't do anything. But you were talking about how powerful he the was. The most powerful human being in the world that could order a drone strike from his desk and yeah. kill a 16-year-old. Yes. He can't do, like, yeah, that but, shit, like, it makes me, it, it interferes me. Right. It, it drives me insane, man. Because I'm, I'm like, how did you just say that George Bush is racist for not doing anything in Louisiana? Um, yeah. When, when Barack Obama comes in, 50% of black wealth is slashed, and he doesn't do anything. Actually, he, he backs oh, stands by where people are thrown out of their homes rather than trying to take over the, uh, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac mortgages. Oh, yeah, sorry, we can't do anything about that. Right. Donald Trump actually <laughs> did more for homeowners who are in danger of being thrown out of their homes um, than Barack Obama did. That is, that is wild to me. I will never forget that. When Barack Obama was president, supposedly some 12 percent, no, some 2 percent of um, government contracts went to black people. And then when mm. George Bush was president, it was like some 12 percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can we can go over like we can go over, you know, the uh, the failures of Barack Obama all day. But you know, just to answer your question, like it's not the it's not the dancing that embarrasses me. It's the unwillingness to be specific um, to name political enemies and political paradigms that are harmful to black people. And this idea of like buying into capitalism and buying into imperialism, um, you know, whether it's that they joining the military, joining the police, joining the political class or whatever. Um, and that they, they want to use their positions to help people later on. And then when they get to where they want to be, like if, if Barack Obama could, um, succeed to the highest level of public office in United States life and become the most powerful human being in the world and still not be able to accomplish anything. What does that tell you? Like, right. do you think that you're going to succeed where he failed? So, yeah, I just, I, 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 I think it goes a lot deeper than, than just, you know, the, the whole like uh, dancing and twerking, whatever the fuck. The problem is that to you, words mean something, you know, you're talking about these are implications, but these people, there's no, words don't mean anything. Things don't imply anything anymore. And, you know, and yeah, the thing that pissed me off about this isn't that it's that it's effective when you have black people using, you know, pulling up at the strings of Americans using, you know, the legacy of black people in the United States. It means something, you know, you, when you use that and then you put it towards war, it's most likely to put us, you know, when Barack Obama was president, that was the first time black people majority wanted to invade a country. Normally, black people have been on the side of, oh, we don't care about this, or, you know, um, these people are probably lying. Well, not just we don't care, but also being, like, actively anti-war. Exactly. And now, 
now some of these guys have turned black people into have weaponized black people into you know going against Donald Trump impeaching him because Donald Trump did not want to send weapons to Ukraine remember that black lady they made she she was so old they made her walk from like the one from congress to the senate like yeah man but yeah 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 Maxine Waters like yeah yeah i i i get all that i mean i would say that it's it's a lot it goes a lot deeper than just black people i think Oftentimes what happens is that, um, okay, it would be the same thing as when, uh, like, people would say, like, oh, how come all these black men are voting for Donald Trump? And then, like, the movement for Donald Trump among black males was something like, it was within the margin of error as far as the polls go. So I think, like, putting that that responsibility on on black Americans, I think, is a bit much for me because there's, there are whole, like, black people represent um, less than 15% of the entire population. So there's a lot more responsibility uh, to go around than, than just black Americans. It does, it does disgust me when they show out like that for Democrats, but I think it speaks to the need to a broader, like it speaks to a broader need for political education. Um, and also to be very clear that there's no, like there's no um, finding common ground with, with Democrats. There's no finding common ground with capitalists. There's no finding common ground with liberals. Like as far as I'm concerned, the liberal is is every bit my enemy as a conservative is as a fascist is because they all represent different um they all represent different spectra or different area um different places on the capitalist spectrum they might be necess- they might be nice or more tolerant or uh, willing to live around other people but the root ideology is the same and they're willing to engage in the same forms of violence to uphold that imperialist system so whether Honestly, they tolerate my presence or not is not really that important to me. What's important is what is the end result of their ideology? I mean, I'm also thinking uh, that in some cases, some of the liberals might be as bad, if not worse, as some of the right wingers. I wouldn't say fascists because when I say fa- when I think of fascists, I think of people who who cannibalize, literally will cannibalize other people. So, I mean, for me, that's like a very, that, you know, just because somebody is a right winger or even a far right winger. I don't want to call them fascists because, again, fascists are people who feed mothers their own children. Like, this is what ISIS does. This is what Nazis have done in in Ukraine. This is what actual Nazis did. I mean, so for me, that's like extreme amount of violence. But even someone like Marie Le Pen, for example, or Donald Trump, you know, they are far right people. They are horrible people. They are xenophobic. You know, they have they, they obviously are racist, even though they pretend not to be. But I think the difference between a fascist and a far right winger is that a far right winger will still say I'm not racist. A fascist will say I am and I'm proud of it. And that is how it should be. And I feel like that we should really distinguish between those things because Mm -hmm. now it fucking matters more than ever. Because here's the thing. For example, what's happening in France, fucking uh, what's his name? Emmanuel Macron is just as much of a fascist as fucking Marine Le Pen. Pen. If you look at some of the things that Macron has said about. Some of the things that Macron has said about uh, France's history in Africa would yeah. turn your stomach. And yet people yeah. still act like this guy is the, the better alternative to Marine Le Pen. I was exactly. there during the, he's, he's just like um, her, but he also wants to continue things. the war. You know, like, how is that better? Sorry, go ahead. I was there during the religion, um, you know, uh, the protests, you know, going out there every weekend and basically then watching this president 
I mean, it was it was offensive. A lot of the things that he was saying about workers, about the way that he was lying in front of everybody's faces, and we knew that he was lying because the very next after a hundred thousand people go out into the streets, then he'll back it, then he'll take it back and say, actually, we're not going to do this. And then people then turn around and are like, okay, so this whole time you actually could do this, but you couldn't, do, but you didn't want to do it. But yeah. So like, Le Pen is terrible. I think Mélenchon would have done. Uh, uh, Mélenchon was the only sort of hope that people had. Poutou would have been cool too, but he only gets like 0.6%. Yeah. And you know what uh, I noticed is that in all of the French colonies, so-called departments, apparently the, the fucking right. French call them departments, but they're colonies. Yeah. Uh, Guyana, Guadalupe, Mar- Martinique, or, or every single one of them, when they when the, elect- the first round elections went through, all mm-hmm. of them voted overwhelmingly for Mélenchon, Mélenchon or whatever, however you pronounce it. Mélenchon. Um, Mélenchon. Yeah, so they voted like 50% or more for him. And then their second choice is always Le Pen. And then their third choice is Macron. So uh, there's a huge difference. Like uh, Mélen- Mélen- whatever, Mélenchon. that guy is uh, Mélenchon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. He's up above 50%. And then usually Le Pen is somewhere in the 12-15%. And then Macron is lower than that. So my point is that the people who are living in the global south and even in the French colonies, they yeah. know that Macron is actually worse because, you know, what happens with these with these fucking right wingers, right? The Trumps and the um, Le Pen is that they are uh, isolationists. They're xenophobic and they tend to be isolationists. And actually that actually benefits countries in the global south because they leave you the fuck alone at the very least. You know, at, at least they, 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 they might try to you know, pressure you in other ways. But people like Biden, people like Obama, they think they have the right to rule the world. They think they're righteous. They are on a civilizing mission. They're going to fucking, you know, they're going to police the world. And at least right-wingers don't do that. So if you're in the global South, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what it is. It is the, it's the, um, the, what's it called? The globalist right-wing versus the nationalist right-wing in France that's happening. Um, Exactly, exactly. He actually legitimized so much of the things that Marine Le Pen was saying. And so it, it left people with the impression that actually, you know, the these these guys are just hypocrites. They they want to do what she's saying. They just cannot say it. And so people end up thinking because the media ultimately shuts down anything from the left. So there's only it's like here, you know, where the only other voice is the extreme right winger. And when the right winger is doing what the extreme right winger is saying, yeah. people think, okay, well, actually, we should have done this. Yes, it's tough luck, but we yeah, we need to be a little bit harsher on the Muslims, a little bit harsher on the Africans. Yeah, because the, the, the choice really is between open fascist and hypocritical fascist. I mean, exactly. yeah, like openly fascist or lying fascist. That's it. That's the only choice. It is. So. Macron's just like Pete Buttigieg. He just. Macron, the Obamas, the Canadian guy, these guys just irk me so much because, like, they just confuse people. People don't know how bad the system is because they come around, you know, with their big eyes, like, uh, what's the name, that Rokana with their big brown eyes, and then they just, they lie to us in our face, and they're so good at it, too. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Um, You know, this is is some, like, Zen stuff for me. You know, the world might be burning, but I feel a little bit better. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Uh, All right. Thank, Thank you. Take care. Bye, Rudy. Cool. All right. Um, All right. Uh, Lucy. Miss Tavasenko. Yeah. Been, been looking. Uh, we, I had a conversation with uh, Lucy a little while back. Um, 
uh, with uh, with Haley. And I was like, I really want to have a conversation with her again. She's like so well informed and it's just like a joy to talk to her. So I'm glad to have her back here. Mm-hmm. What's up, Lucy? You can unmute by tapping the little microphone shaped button in the lower right hand corner of your screen. Hi, Q. Hi. Hi, Karen. I'm really excited to be on the show. Um, hey. Hey, we're excited yeah. to have you. You're yeah. like one of my favorite people. Thanks. You too. Thanks, you too, Q and Karen. It's <laughs> so, um, I guess to ask. Um, like first of, I first thing I want to say is like I see a lot of people defending uh, like Azov and like the far right in Ukraine with by pointing out the election re- results and being like, oh, Azov's just one yeah. part of the military. Yeah. The election results, the far right parties only get don't get in. Yeah, only got five percent of the vote, so blah blah blah, or two percent of the vote. They, yeah, they always come back to such, that. It's <laughs> such a fundamental, like it's like at like it's like they should even be in the discussion because it's such a fundamental misunderstanding of how politics works. Like, forget Ukrainian politics; it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how politics work in general. Like, it's it like you. It, it would be almost like to say that, oh, you know, the People's Party of Canada um, only got 6% of the vote here. So we don't have to worry about, uh, we don't have to worry about fascism. We don't have to worry about authoritarianism or whatever the hell they call it. Like, you know, creeping homophobia. We don't have to worry about any of that stuff because, hey, the People's Party only got X percent of the vote. And it's like, I thought that you thought just a few short years ago, back around 2015, that the Conservative Party of Canada was an existential threat to humanity to refugees and to canadian identity so what do you mean exactly exactly uh it's the part the the party um the the issue is that they're even if they are aren't winning parliamentary seats like they're in positions where they can they're in positions where they have where they can wield influence so but ideological influence Mm -hmm. over over other people and like they have like they're in um the military and the police and are teaching and are running summer camps for kids where they and like eh, where they brainwash them into this nasty ideology and like they have a lot of influence in like Ukrainian civil society like there's this one notorious guy Sergei Sternenko who is uh not who's like a nazi who's been convicted for murder and there like there's video evidence of it and he's but like he legitimizes his his activities through civil his through being like his oh i'm a civil he's, he's like oh i'm a civil society activist who's trying to protect the ukrainian language and whatnot but it actually just means like his he and his goons go around harassing people who they see uh, as um being like russian traitors like they forced a a jewish uh woman in odessa who ran a a a grocery um restaurant combination to shut down her store because she wrote a mess a post on Facebook in the Ukrainian language, but using a Russian language keyboard. And they, like, it's just. Yeah. Like, did you see the video of um, these, these two soldiers? They, 
were on the property of these two elderly people and an elderly woman came out of her backyard and she had the USSR flag, which was what they were oh, yeah, I guess, harassing them for in the first place. And then they, they took the flag out of her hands and trampled it. And she said, yeah. she said like, you know, these, these, this is the flag that my father died for to get the Nazis yeah. out of here. What are you doing? That, that poor, like that, like if you're beating, like if you're bullying an old lady, you're not seeing like, like yeah, you've, you've lost the moral high ground. Yeah, and it, and the way people are, be, and also like, if, like people going, oh well, Azov is only a small part of the military. Like, um, for such as even if they are like one part of the military, like you're still seeing them a, a lot in the media. They're like you have that what Ilya Ponomarenko on. Oh yeah, yeah, Twitter. yeah. yeah who, who said that he was like a, uh, what do you say, he was a sworn member of the Azov? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, a, he's a journalist with the um, the Kiev Independent, which is yeah. also like another fucking um, foreign policy uh, 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 op that's uh, funded by, I, I want to say it's the National Endowment for Democracy, but I don't believe that that's the case. I believe it was through Radio yeah. Free Europe. Um, but also like the Canadian government and the Globe and Mail, the, one of the papers that I write for, um, helped fund their existence and the reason that for radio or for uh radio free kiev might as well be that for the reason for the kiev independence existence is because uh they their journalists broke away from a larger publication that was not sympathetic to the fascists oh uh, oh uh, yeah also i think like that like the way people talk about like fascism and you and like people who go like, oh, well, they're fascists under Russian style. Like, okay, yeah, but my my tax dollars aren't going to fund those people. That's, and we aren't like, also like Russia at least is doesn't like like they're always somewhat better at keeping like the fascism in check. Like we're not, and whatnot. Like, and also most importantly, like we aren't fun funding those people like i like i can like i like i'm not in a position to change like russian like the russian military but i can say some do something i as an american can say or say something about the u.s funding the far right in ukraine yeah and and, you know here's the other thing uh sorry just the the rush in russia uh (laughs) there are not neo-nazis but they uh, they tend to get beaten or arrested by, they get they tend to get um, I've seen news stories of uh, them getting you know various ones that over the years getting arrested getting beaten up getting picked up by you know uh, on various like crimes um, for assault and this and that um, there's no official uh, sanctioning of Nazis in fact Russia um, every year has uh, sponsored a United Nations measure to uh, condemn and denounce Nazism and Ukraine and the US, are usually and the two countries. Ukraine and US oppose it, Canada abstains every, every time. single yeah. every single year. And and one more thing is that in Russia, um, you might not like it, but you might not like them. Um, I, I have my differences with them, but the Communist Party of the Russian Federation or the KPRF is the second largest party in the Russian parliament. Um, okay, so they have a huge majority in certain parts. They have governors that are Communist Party members in Russia, in Russia, which is a capitalist country has the second largest party in their government is the Communist Party. 
And it, while in Ukraine, the Communist Party is banned and all the Socialist Parties are banned. So, you know, while the Nazi parties and the fascist parties continue to be allowed. So if you there's no comparison between the way that Russia deals with Nazism versus the way Ukraine deals with Nazism. There's no comparison yeah. there, you know? Yeah. Also, like the a lot of the messed up like memory politics in Russia around surrounding like rehabilitating terrible people and parts of history. It's generally like it's mainly just like a lot of it's like either like the Russian pre-revolutionary Russian Empire or like the white army and white emigres which is like they're bad but like if it were like a 50-50 comparison to like Ukraine it would be like if the Russian government started rehabilitating black like Andrei Vlasov or um or Bronislav Kaminsky or any of the other Russian Nazi collaborators like it's entire. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like there, there's like a, a rehabilitationist experiment in Russia for people that used to be landowners. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like rehabilitating. I don't know, fucking Howard Schultz. You know, <laughs> like it's not. I mean, it's it it sucks. Yeah, but like, it's not anywhere nearly as bad as as rehabilitating or not even rehabilitating, but celebrating Stepan Bandera. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Also, also, it's just kind of funny seeing people talk about how like Putin is trying to erase Soviet his all the bad parts of Soviet history and like turn to like the ussr 2.0 when like he's explicitly i um he's a big fan of like anton denikin and he was personal friends with solzhenitsyn and like he despises the communists for what for creating the soviet union he's literally said lenin's revolution was a mistake like that, that came out of his mouth yeah, but I think the reason why people just conveniently overlook all those things are and are just like, oh, I bet Solzhenitsyn would have hated Putin. I think it's because like the like Western liberals like people they actually say also, Solzhenitsyn would have hated Putin. Yeah, like it's in, like it's bananas. <laughs> but I think the reason why like what? they don't want it. I I think the reason why they don't want it. Con- yeah, like. Like, like, did they not know that like, these two liked each other and were chums? No, not at all. Like, I think the reason why they're just so they don't want to talk about like Putin, like Putin's pension for the White Army and whatnot, is because they also think those things are actually good, and it, and that, and it's more convenient for them to just do Cold War two and Putin is literally Stalin. Yeah, yeah, also, I know. It's yes. Go ahead, go ahead. And it real like the way people talk about like the rough, the far right in Ukraine, and like it really does. It's it. I think it's also connected to like how bad, how awful the the discourse is around the far right in the West, where people think that it's all about like election results, and it's all some everything that goes wrong is like Russia's. Fault. Like, yeah, people who, after Biden was elected, was just like, we did it, guys. Fascism is over. Look, see, you can vote out fascism. Or, like, people think that, like, in order to defeat fascism in France, everybody has to vote Macron. Like, that is, a fu- they fundamentally do not understand how fascism. I will, n- listen, I know I'm not supposed to talk bad about my comrades, but fuck it. I don't, I don't care. The fact that the communists backed Macron over Mélenchon is I will I I I will never understand it nor do I forgive it. Oof. Euro communists are not my comrades. <laughs> I got to tell you. Okay. 
like I, I don't I don't know uh, what yeah. the like I don't know that we've had an official uh, statement from the Communist Party of Canada on any of these matters, but I cannot imagine that anybody in Central is no. looking at no. what they did and saying, yeah, yeah, these are still our comrades. Like, not nah, fuck them. No, mm-hmm. generally the party doesn't tend to comment on other countries' elections and all that. But yeah, like there's no official line. But yeah, no, I, that is not cool. Mm-hmm. That is. Anybody who thinks Macron is better than Le Pen, I don't like either of them. But if anybody thinks, yeah, like no, better, they they can both be drowned in the sand together. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, like, they fought, like, like Macron has been like positioning himself as being like to the right of Le Pen, like, and also like it's similar to how like in the U.S. the Democrats are trying to be run to the right of the Republicans because they think they're going to pick up their their voters, and I think like American, like I think. Oh, like it's just a fu- people who th- and like people who think that like Ukraine doesn't have an issue with the far right because they have like they do like pink they pink they do pink washing their army and they have a Jewish president like and whatnot like it's like they think that somehow erases like the the very real very unignore undeniable problems with the far right like it's like that is. It just shows like they've learned nothing from the past from the Trump years, and they didn't even understand how any of that came to be in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. Um, yeah, and like, yeah. So what I would say to the what I would say to the French communists right now, like even if my comments, I I kiss toi every single one of you, kiss toi, get the fuck out of here. Um, oh, and also, I had one. I had one uh, favorite to ask you, Lucy, which is, uh, would you mind helping me with my Russian? Because Cyrillic is not an easy. I'm learning Cyrillic and uh, Pinyin at the same time. Your boy's having a really rough go of it. Oh, oh, um, yeah, yeah. I can help you with Cyrillic. It's actually really. It's. It's but, no, it's actually, it's, I mean, it's a hell of a lot easier than, uh, it's a lot easier than learning like a Chinese ideograms. Like, uh, learning pinyin is, is one of the hardest things that I've ever undertaken. Not just pinyin and Q, you got to learn the actual written simplified Chinese. I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, I am, I am starting on it. Listen, my handwriting yeah. was chicken scratch to begin with, but now having to like oh. write out words in, it, like yeah. having to write out words in Mandarin pictograms has been, it's been hell. Yeah, P- Pinyin I f- picked up pretty fast, but like relatively speaking, but like the actual Chinese characters, oh my god, yeah. I mean, that hurts my head. It's the, the no, I'm the, do the it. tones. I'm learn that too. For somebody who is like, I mean, I am, I am generally a down speaker. Like, like when I finish my words, they end on like a down tone. So, or I guess occasionally they do, they go up and up tones. Who knows? But my tonality is almost completely incompatible with the Mandarin language. Mm-hmm. There's an app called Tandem that people have been telling me about um, that I just started using where you can like pair up with people who want to learn a language you know and they help you with theirs. And so anyway, you might want to check that out too. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, Lucy, it's uh, great having you. Feel free to come back anytime. I mean, you're always, you're, you're a comrade of ours and you're always welcome to yeah, voice your I'll opinions. Be coming back. You're one of the people great that I like when, when I, um, I, I've told you this before, but like when I have a an opinion on Ukraine, I usually will look to you to be like, "Did she like my tweet?" Yeah, she liked my tweet. All right, I'm on the right track. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. No worries. And on Soviet history, Lucy has some amazing. I remember your threads 
with like all of the like the like the artwork and the posters yeah. and the wi- oh, like the women from oh my god yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to be doing another one of those illustration thread threads those are awesome Thanks. <laughs> yeah your threads on um I think uh, yeah I'm pretty sure it was you that one time just got really peeved with all of the undue adulation that people um throw on uh simo haiha the uh the the finnish sniper yeah and you had like this this long ass thread of soviet snipers and i was like oh my god yes finally somebody said this i don't think it was me who did that for this the thread about soviet snipers it wasn't you okay it was it might have been haley then yeah yeah right but uh, no but you have like on multiple occasions alluded to like some of the uh the soviet war heroes um and you're one of the reasons that I, I went and because like I knew who uh, Lyudmila Pavlichenko was um, before you got into your like your Pavlichenko tweets, which I still appreciate. Um, but it was because of you that I you know took a deeper look into who she was as a person, and oh, I was like, so damn, yeah. this is like this is undersung history. Mm-hmm. Also, another aspect of Soviet history that gets like who are seriously underappreciated during the war are all the indigenous snipers from like Siberia yeah. and the far north. Yeah. Yeah, like those guys like Semyon Nomakonov and Fyodor Oklopov, um, like those guys all grew up hunting from an early age and so mm-hmm. it's just a matter of applying it to the German. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if yeah, exactly. If if you hunt uh, you know, rabbits and foxes um you know with your uh, with your pea shooter and you can definitely hit a, a german um you can definitely hit a, like a german uh carrying a radio the other the other part too actually one thing that really annoyed me about uh this this recent conflict is that many of the the many of the people that withdrew from kiev um like the towns outside of uh kiev uh were themselves siberians like they they were uh members of the uh, the russian federation army um yeah. and a lot of them are indigenous people and they're basically now trying to um they're they're saying that this massacre was committed by people who, when they withdrew, were like there's videos of them handing out like food rations and supplies to people, and a lot like they and I've seen people tweet threads saying like, oh yeah, these are the people that uh, committed these atrocities, and it's like I don't know if I buy that, like not not these not these particular people. Yeah. Also, I've noticed like there's a ton of like racism from the Ukrainian side. We're like side. Were like simultaneously, oh, those poor um, non-Russian non-Russian people being forced to fight for Moscow when they probably want to be free, or oh, and also, oh, look at all all these scary um, Buryats and um, Chechens and visibly non um, visibly non-white Russians. It's just very, it's yeah. While yeah. at the same time, they're like making the most racist comments about them in Ukrainian language, of course. Yeah, one of my one of my mutuals on Twitter is um half um is Russian and half um Saka, which is a indigenous Siberian group. And she, when they posted that big thread about the differences between Russians and Ukrainians, and one of them was like. Ukrainians are pure Slavs, Russians are Finnish, Moksha, whatever mixes. She's just like, I don't what? To- could you could you send that to me? I didn't see that. Yeah, it, they deleted it. Oh, okay. But yeah, but it was. But she said, like, I already have to put up with like racism from 
from Russians for not being 100% Slavic, and now like Ukrainians are doing this to Ru- are doing the same thing to Russians, and like like they don't actually, and then they'll like concern troll about the play of no- of non Russians in Russians, like like you're. But they're still Russians, like like they identify as Russian. They might be from various ethnic yeah. groups, but but yeah, that was a like, that was a facet of the USSR that I think in in many ways um western countries could not themselves capture or or truly understand is that it's not just a matter of having a multi-ethnic society it's a society that is constructed out of various ethnicities towards one particular goal so you don't have to necessarily celebrate the multi-ethnicity of it because like every like everybody um being like you you might be fighting next to somebody who's from like literally thousands of miles away and looks completely different from you but the the goal that you're working towards is not some abstract idea like freedom or democracy or whatever. It's that we get to control our own destinies. Like we, we are the ones in control of um, our own economic fortunes and in control of self-determination that we will not be exploited by landowners and by the ruling class. Like they're all brought together under the very same ideology. And I don't think that that's something that even the United States can touch. Exactly. Also, like, even, like, like, people, like, I think that, like, for me, the, the reason why, I like, this kind of concern trolling from the Ukrainian side bothers me so much is because, like, they're, like, simultaneously being raped, like, they can't even, like, they can't even concern troll about these groups, about, like, they concern troll about them, they can use them against the, like, Russia, but then, Smith, but then, eh, then be racist towards these groups to to smear Russia. It's just like that, like and also like like they spend like they've spent the past eight years bombing Eastern Ukraine, bombing pe- the people of Donbass for not being su- for not being sufficiently Ukrainian enough. Like they're not like they're not yeah. like how are they going to fix fix Russia? Well, like, there, there's a reason that I mean, um, my sister's fiance. I uh, went to go. So he was finally able to uh, to go back to Ukraine uh, to go fetch his mom. But they they didn't go westward. They went eastward. They went into Georgia. Right. They didn't go. They didn't go westward towards Poland. And there's a reason for that. And that's because like being from the Donbass region and being a um, a Russian speaking Jew from the region, like he's not going to encounter friendly faces on the way back. That's that's all. I'm... Yeah, they, um, I I'm sharing a video in the chat of some. Uh guy on Russian on uh, Ukrainian TV calling just for the ethnic cleansing of people in the Donbass saying that they're superfluous people and mm-hmm. that the region is only good for its uh, resources and that uh, the people over there should be uh, should be whatever removed or like just calling for ethnic cleansing and he's just on some regular national TV Ukrainian TV just having a chat with uh, the woman, like, it looks like a CNN broadcast. You know, it looks like a regular, well-funded TV show. Oh, yeah, that guy who looks show. like Vosh. <laughs> he looks like Vosh. Somebody said he's like Vosh with Duolingo. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the way, like, people, like, that kind of, like, that, actually, like, the way they, um, the way, like, they, like, some, like, West, like, U- Ukrainians talk about, like, people from, like, Eastern Ukraine, uh, like it actually kind of reminds me of how like it actually in a way kind of reminds me of how like uh like U.S. liberals talk about how like everybody in like 
the quote unquote red states is dumb and they and the and yeah. backwards and like oh well we sh- well we should just get rid of them like we're we'd be so much better off and um a lot of this like oh well well I mean granted like the east I I wouldn't say it's fifty fifty because like the east of Ukraine is genuinely like more working class whereas like uh but um but also like the same like classes and where it's just like oh well you're just dumb dumb and and backwards enough and poor so that's why they vote for X. I I, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, definitely also, a classist uh, racist thing too. Yeah definitely. also like like especially like also like oh also since like Donbass is such like a traditionally like in like mining area like and also like in mm-hmm. App- Appalachia uh, like all this like the way in the U.S. like there's all these stereotypes about people from Appalachia being like dumb and backwards and coal mining. I I guess yeah, I there definitely and definitely some similarities. Yeah, but it's not like again like not fifty fifty because like there is just because like U.S. and Ukrainian politics are different and. At, yeah, I guess I kind of and, and and I find that the people who tend to be most uh, hateful in the U.S. towards the Appalachian slash red state, I mean, you know, they they tend to. I find that it's a lot of these white liberals who live, mm-hmm. who are either from these places or who moved from these places or something. They they want to distinguish themselves as like, you know, we're not like those dumb rednecks. You know, we're not like that white trash, whatever. Like they want to distinguish themselves as the the cosmopolitan, the the erudite, the educated white people. You know, now we live in uh, urban yeah, areas like shopping Vance. Whole Foods. Oh my, oh my, <laughs> JD Vance, where he's like the oh, I'm the working class, white working class whisperer. When like, when he's like, also like, I think another it, way that like it's different. It's like in the U.S., like when people talk about like all those, like most poor people in the U.S. just like the the people who um who like liberals and the, like the democrats look down on like it's like most poor people in the u.s just don't vote at all like the like the republican base is mainly like small business tyrants and like um like and but yeah most people like don't give a shit or they know the government's never going to care about them or they don't have the time to get away and focus and pay attention to all the politics and even go vote. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah. uh, Lucy, I do appreciate uh, the comments. I, I, I probably should let Reina have her say, but like I said, okay, you're welcome well. to come back anytime. And I, I really appreciate okay. Listen, I, I, for, First of all, we, we need to, at some point I need to book time with you that we can have a, a much lengthier conversation about this stuff because um, I, I think it would be incredibly useful. Okay, def- I definitely. All right, sounds good. We'll good chatting okay, with you. We'll care. talk soon. All right, bye-bye. Take care, Keelan. Karen. All right, Rena. No, it's all good. I, 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 can, I can talk to Lucy hey, forever. Hey, Karen. Hey, what's How up? You? Good, good. Hey. Uh, okay, I now know what I'm going to call myself. I live in a red oh, state, no. and I'm going to start calling myself what I am, which is a communist. <laughs> I yes. I used to say it it's gonna It's going to be a red state for sure this time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I used to say, uh-huh. 
I used to say at work once I figured out what a POS uh, Obama was that uh, everything he did brought out the Marxist in my soul, and that that had people shot pretty pretty much thoroughly. But yeah, I think I think I'll just simplify it. Communist. Um, nice. I, I happened to catch a couple of segments of Rising this morning. Um, don't know if you guys ever are familiar or ever watch. Yeah, uh, I, I am mainly... so. I, first of all, I will say I am so sorry. And then my question for you is, why do you do that to yourself? Uh, because Brianna Joy Gray was on as the oh, okay, uh, okay, as a guest host. She was mm-hmm. she was subbing in for um, was she? She was subbing in for Ryan Grimm. Oh, so, I'm going to make fun of her. I'm gonna, I'm so going to make fun of her for this. Okay, so go ahead. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll give you another reason to make fun of her. Um, oh, oh no, because. Oh, no. Because I watched the opening segment with her and Robbie, and um, the reporting was on some New York Times article about how um, there'd been an invest. New York Times, okay, New York Times. Let me let me just say that three more times. New York Times, New York Times, New York Times was reporting today that uh, an investigation in Bucha or Buka, however it's supposed to be pronounced. Bucha, Bucha. Yeah, uh, showed that Russians had raped and mutilated bodies or some damn thing. Who knows? Uh, and both of them, Bree and Robbie, just reported this like it was fact. <sighs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? <clears throat> they, what, what is the evidence? What is the evidence that the New York Times presented? I saw uh, Scott Ritter on uh, Jimmy Dore's live stream last night, and he he was talking about the so-called evidence that the uh, Russians were responsible for all those civilian bodies that were lying around. And he said something that I thought right from the get-go. Now, again, he, he's been a weapons inspector. He's a Marine. Uh, as he said on on Jimmy's show last night, I've seen a lot of dead people, which I'm sure he has, and I don't envy him that. Uh, I guess I just read about dead people enough or something. But as soon as I saw those pictures of of the video or and some of the still photos of those dead bodies in Bucha, when the Russians had supposedly left four or five days before that, I thought that those bodies cannot have been there for four or five yeah. days. And he and he got much more specific and graphic about how bodies decompose. I was I was. This which, is something that which, I didn't uh, want to say. I, I hate to interrupt you, but I I I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that I've wanted to say, but I'm like, eh, I probably shouldn't. Which is that uh, if you've had um, a human body that's been laying out in it, like exposed the to the elements, yeah, exposed to the mm-hmm. elements for four to five days before they're even discovered in the first place. And they're not only were they first discovered four to five days previously, but then they continue to be discovered over the, over the course of the following week. And then more pictures are being taken of those bodies in, in what's supposed to be a more advanced state of decomposition. No, absolutely not. That's not what I mean. I, I will say that I've had less experience with dead bodies than he has, but oh, yeah. I, I know what a dead body looks like after uh, being out in the sun for a few days, and that is not what that looks like. Yeah, to- totally agree. Totally agree. So anyway, yeah, when you're giving Brian, Brianna a, a hard time about 
going on rising and <laughs> you know i i, I think yeah. she's great i i, I do too but i i give but, her hell but, yeah but sorry, come, sorry go ahead. come on come on somebody should have said uh the new york times is basing this on whom unnamed government sources in the ukrainian one, government one thing that um, is, where is this reporting coming from one thing Who that many americans reading? one thing that many americans and many canadians i don't know to what extent the british are like this but i suspect it's a lot worse i've only been to britain a few times so i can't speak authoritative authoritatively on that but one thing that people have collectively lost the ability to do is to say according to what according like yeah. Uh, that there, 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 there are chemical gas attacks happening in Mariupol. After, by the way, the Russians have already drubbed uh, the Azov Battalion out of the region. Okay, according to what? You know uh, that that these atrocities were taking place in in Busha. Okay, according to what? According to what reporting? If you're getting reporting from people that have essentially uh, reoccupied a region after having been driven out of the region, and the people that they're reoccupying it from are their enemies, according to what? What? What reasons might they have to uh, cast uh, the the shadow of atrocity on these people? Especially knowing that as you look at these these pictures of of bodies that they're just putting out on social media, um, unrestricted, I think that they just expect that folks are not going to have keen eyes and notice that the very same ration boxes that Russian troops were handing out to people were pictured right next to the bodies that were lying dead in the street. Right, so like, and 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 uh, to say that, uh, you know, a, uh, a a mayor of a city that is happy to uh, retake the territory is, um, uh, you know, overjoyed uh, that uh, the the Russians are now gone, and sure, it might take a few days to let all the dust settle and see what's happened afterwards, but the fact that it happens four or five days later and there are fresh bodies in the streets, I, I'm yeah. I'm sorry, I just I I can't. And I'm not saying that they're lying. I'm saying, okay, then conduct an independent investigation to find out what happened. Well, as fate would have it, the Russians were asking for an independent investigation to find out what, if anything, what what happened in the region. What, if anything, that had to do with Russian troops in the area. Well, the UN was open to the idea of this happening. And, and you know who objected? Ukrainians did not want an independent investigation. So I, I just... I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to come to any definitive conclusions until it has been investigated. And I think when I say things like this, people get really upset because they say, oh, you're just making excuses for. So, for example, when I say, all right, well, there should be an independent investigation into the Xinjiang region to find out what, if anything, uh, Chinese authorities have been doing to Uyghur people in the area. I'm met with. Well, you're a fascist apologist. What? No, I'm asking for an investigation. Well, yeah, there have been investigations. Oh, yeah, according to who? Oh, well, like multiple human rights organizations. Okay, based on what data? No, one guy. One yeah. guy. It's, one dis- well, it's, one it's not a lot of people. Chinese, a lot of Chinese yeah. expat. Yeah. Who's paid by d- the democracy syndrome or something. Yeah. China yeah. Human one Rights guy. Defenders. Yeah. Yeah. China Human Rights Defenders, which, by the way, is an organization that's funded by the National Endowment for Democracy. Oh, sorry. It's, it's a spin, sorry. Spin, it's a spinoff of Radio Free Asia and uh, also paid for by the NED. But, like, when, 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 you hear, when you hear these things and you're reading through reports of these, these atrocities, massacres, etc., if you can't ask the question, according to what, then you're not a journalist. You're a propagandist. 
could not agree more. And my question is, why in hell are people who are okay? I will I will exempt youngins, people who are I don't know twenty twenty five whatever whatever gen that is. I'll excuse them because they're they're too young. I to I, I I I Iraq offer no quarter. Bullshit. I offer no quarter to Gen Zs whatsoever. They <laughs> offer no quarter. Neither shall it be offered to uh, offered to them. <laughs> but honestly, anybody who's old enough to remember the whole Iraq War lies and bullshit, why are we buying all the lies and bullshit this go round? Why are we Thank not you. being slightly skeptical? Slightly skeptical. And I will throw in just for fun. Uh, after all the lies and bullshit and misinformation about the COVID situation in this country. I don't I don't know why anybody is taking any of this without a giant grain of salt. You know, because if, the if, Democrats yeah. are doing it this time. Fuck yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, the Democrats are doing it this time. Hello, do we not remember Obama? Oh, yes, we do. Did oh, no, 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 no. We do remember. We, we remember Obama as never having a political scandal in his entire career. You know, so you know, these guys, these guys, yeah, other than the Trump, Trump suit, yes, it's a fucking Trump derangement syndrome. You know, yes. these liberals had their brains like blown for they didn't get any sleep for like four years and they're completely <laughs> sleep deprived, you know, and then the pandemic happened. And like that really just they have completely lost all their minds. Apparently, everybody's everybody's three year old became political scientists watching television. Mommy, why is the bad man on TV so afraid? Mommy, why? Why? Why does he hate gay people? (laughs) These people's like three year olds are just having these like these incredibly like mind blowing politically astute conversations while they're they're just like trapped in this nightmare like zombies. Uh, So I, I guess maybe. The reason for them having the political instincts of children is because that's who they're learning their politics from. Yeah, it's got to be. I've forgotten all that three-year-old stuff. That that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would think that people would at least, um, you know, the, 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 there's this thing. I, I I'm I'm gonna call it. The, I don't know what to call it. I call it different things at different times. But this nostalgic left thing, you know nostalgic, whatever, like, oh, okay, those other wars in the past were wrong. Yes, the CIA lied to us before. Yes, the government has lied. Yes, Obama lied. Yes, we destroyed Libya for no good reason. Uh, no, they of, don't, they don't that. admit that. They don't admit that. They don't admit Libya well, was destroyed for no good yeah. reason. They think it was a good thing. What you, Karen, did you not know that Gaddafi was giving his troops Viagra so that they could go out and rape more women? Didn't you I know just, that? I don't hang out with people who are that far gone, I guess. I just don't know that. that <laughs> to me, it's like at least some of the people I know at least know that that that, that was No, I have, I have developed do. an entire taxonomy of liberalism based on their shit takes over the last 10 years. <laughs> okay, I need to see this chart. You gotta put in an well, infographic little thing. It, they're definitely sexual overtones because it's Viagra, it's rape, it's mutilation, and then you got to throw in some babies in incubators. Oh yeah, that yeah. Yes. Well, the, the funny bombing, thing, bombing a yeah. maternity hospital, and I mean, yeah, yeah, it's all very, very everything. Damsel in distress. Look at those poor women. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and by the way, I can never recommend Jasbir K. Poor's work enough. But if you haven't read Terrorist Assemblages by Jasbir K. Poor, please go out and read it. Um, I'll actually type it on the chat. It's called Terrorist Assemblages, and she talks. She she really 
um, sort of like deconstructs the idea of homo nationalism and pinkwashing, which is to say that uh, there is like the United States goes from and and oftentimes at the very same time a country that uh, itself um, persecutes, subjugates um, LGBTQ people. Uh, le- tries to legislate them out of existence, if not enacts violence against them in order to make them go back into the closet. Let's uh, be saying them, like I'm not part of that whole crew. But like at the very same time that that's happening, they will then talk about the United States's um, obligation to defend women, to defend gay people, to defend lesbians, to defend trans people, etc. In other countries, because if not us, then who? Right, because no, no, nobody, nowhere is safer on Earth for the LGBTQ community, nor safer on Earth for women, nor safer on Earth for ethnic minorities, etc. Than the United States is. We are a shining beacon of tolerance and freedom. At the very same time that our police are just like <laughs> killing black folks like hotcakes, the same time that we're like legislating trans children out of existence, at the same time that we're making it illegal for women to have abortions and we're charging women with crimes for it. To the extent that, like, now, if you are a woman that has a miscarriage and you don't report it to the police, you could go to jail. Like, yeah, the very, that very same country is the one that has taken it upon itself to, to defend the rights of women and LGBTQ people abroad. Let me end this on a slightly cheerful note. Um, the, the state legislature in my little red state uh, was trying to pass a really bad abortion bill, and uh, it failed. It failed in our little legislature. And uh, they were also trying to pass a constitutional carry bill for concealed firearms. That's what they were calling it. And of course, what it what it really is is uh, no training, no licensing, no background check. Anybody can pack a gun around, and that one failed also. So uh, even 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 in the red states, there there's still a few people who've got who've got their wits about them. So. For the for the time being, at least those two things happened. Yeah, I mean, um, I I actually think that the younger people are less likely to be uh, swept up in this shit. I mean, they are, but I think that they, uh, I think the older people, like <sighs> my God, I mean myself, and I'm in my forties. I have um, seen some utterly garbage takes that come. I would say like the under twenty five cohort is probably worse than their older peers. I I think that if anybody is, yeah, I would say that if anybody is um, sort of like, if if any if any um, age group is going to form the the vanguard, is probably going to be the younger millennials. Um, I would say that like the older millennials are too much like their Gen Z peers, and the the sorry like their Gen X peers, and the Gen Zers are. I, I, I it's not going to surprise me if we have like a satanic panic resurgent in, in this generation. I'm not even joking. That's not, I'm not even trying to be funny here. I'm dead serious. They're just like that generation of Gen Xers. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so happy. Not Gen Xers, sorry. That's no, no, this is, sorry. That's uh, that's, that's the baby boomers. Uh, the, uh, the satanic panic people, like there, it's something about like a complete, um, there's like a, there's a refractory period, uh, that we're encountering right now. That is in response to, I think, like a sexual libertine movement that we experienced in the 2000s through like from the early 2000s through the late 2010s. And the Gen Zers have adopted like the complete opposite stance. And 
I, I, I don't know. I guess that there's like, there's, oh, sorry about that. There's something that's, uh, I don't know, just interesting to me about young people that have uh, political and a uh, political moral and like sexual points of view that are by leagues more conservative than the generation or two before them. Like they are, I, I, I spent many years like living in South Florida um, and went to a, a Southern Baptist church. And when I tell you that these kids are just like the members of that congregation, except without the Jesus, I'm not even trying to be funny. That's, that's what they're like. Wow. That's right. What age are you? Like what age are you? I'm talking about about like, like 17 to 25. Yeah. Uh, you, you encounter it a lot on TikTok, but also just like the way that I hear young people talk about things. Like I have, I, you know, I have obviously like younger relatives and I have a, a godson who's 14 now and, like, I don't know, just the way that I hear a lot of younger people talk about this stuff, I think they're a lot more open and accepting of, like, things like LGBTQ identity. Um, but I, th- right. I think what I, it, this is actually a problem that exists in that community. And I, I think a lot of people don't really a lot of people don't really understand it. And that's that there is no, like, sense of collective memory um, in the broader community, because who are you going to learn that from? Like, you don't have. OK, as a member of the black community. I have like stories and I guess like uh, I have, I have like, like stories or old traditions and so forth that are passed down to me from my older relatives. Plus I can like pick up books and read and so on, but they'll actually like put the books in front of me and tell me what to read. So there's at least some sort of like instruction and guidance happening, but where it comes to the LGBTQ community, um, every generation that grows up, like they have the, the, the next generation has to learn things all over from scratch because there is no, sort of collective memory uh, that exists, or at least it, it exists to a far lesser extent than most other communities. So I think for a lot of younger people that are, um, you know, uh, growing up with the ability to embrace like uh, queer identity, trans identity, et cetera, I think a lot of them don't understand the kind of like, not just sacrifice and oppression, but like outright attempts at extinguishing them that the generations before them went through. I don't think a lot of like younger queer people understand what it is that like one and two and three generations before them went through. I think a lot of young gay people have no idea what the 1980s were like, that you had almost an entire cohort of people extinguished, not just by state policy, but by HIV, et cetera, or why it is that they'll talk about things like age gap relationships or why, you know, why did these older gay men engage in these, these uh, relationships with much younger people? Well, I don't know, probably because a lot of the people that they were, uh, dating and that they loved at the time died and there was no one around to date like th- that that knowledge that uh sort of like pre-existing knowledge when you like for example when when black people talk about like the crime bill talk, like invoking the the words crime bill brings back a collective memory that is traumatic to a lot of people because we all remember what it was like to go through that but I think for a lot of young people, when you talk about, say, like the Reagan era and HIV, it doesn't mean anything to them. There's no collective trauma that it brings back or evokes. They just know that, like, they they obviously have the oppression that they have to deal with, but they don't know what it is that the generation before them had to deal with that laid the foundation for them being able to be out and open. Interesting. Yeah, and we do suck at teaching history, especially the the uncomfortable bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think for a lot of folks, like, um, gay history began with the Supreme Court uh, declaring that uh, um, stopping gay people from getting married was unconstitutional. I think for a lot of people, right. that was their, that's their historical touchstone. 
when in reality, their historical touchstone should be like bathhouse raids. And when they say things like uh, Stonewall, you know, and, and invoke the name of Marsha P. Johnson, do they know why the queens were throwing their high heels at police? They don't really know about any of that. It's just, it's historical reference without historical context. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's too much of that with these with these wars, you know, and, and I don't know, stuff. Stuff like Ukraine being a, a democracy. What is, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I'm 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 not I'm not sure there, that a, that a a real democracy exists. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Scandinavian countries actually actually. Meet, are you are you really going to turn around and try to that? tell me that actual monarchies are democracies? You're not going to be one of the Nordic model people, are you? I hope no, not. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. Well, well okay. they don't all have kings and queens, or do they? Uh, I. Uh, most of the, uh, Norway I, has well, Norway has actually, a monarch. And, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. Norway. Oh, I think I actually, right. I, actually met, I actually met I actually met the uh, the prince and princess <laughs> of Norway a number of years ago. Um, they were actually fairly cool, and uh, <laughs> I I didn't have the same kind of hatred for monarchy in general that I do now. I had a hatred for like the British monarchy, but I don't think my my hatred extended to like all monarchy. I think we would have had a very different conversation uh, than the one we we had uh, back when I met them in 2015. Yeah, hey, I, speaking that, of monarchy, that's one of the things that I've changed my views on quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of monarchy, guess ended, who's coming to Canada? Ended everywhere. Oh, Lord, yeah, Charles and Camilla. Yeah. Charles and Camilla are coming to, to Canada. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and gosh. then we get to have another conversation on how much Canadians should pay for their security and and – and how we can't break away from uh, the UK for any number of reasons, but they actually rarely ever mention the precise reason that Canada would have a very difficult time uncoupling from the UK. And that's that um, treaty. So, okay. So Canada, unlike the United States was built on a series of treaties. um, Some brokered in good faith and honesty, most brokered in lies and deceit and genocide. Uh, And, those treaties aren't with the Canadian government. Those treaties are with the crown. So that's actually one of the, the biggest un, uh, biggest constitutional messes that we not only would have to untangle, but I think are going to have to work on untangling is that, uh, you know, the, the queen and essentially the, the British crown is responsible for the relations with indigenous people because Canada wasn't formed by, I don't know, uh, this like uh, this, this frontiersmanship that the United States mythos is built on. It was essentially one gigantic land purchase on territorial rights that was only realized through a series of treaties uh, with indigenous people. And given that those treaties are essentially like a a corporate agreement, um, that's probably our that's one of the reasons why I simply do not consider Canada a democracy in any way, shape or form. Um, People say jokes like, you know, it's uh, uh, it's three oil companies or three energy companies in a trench coat. It's actually no, no. We're no, we're we're basically we're a um, the same way that Facebook. If you really boil it down to brass tacks, Facebook is a pile of papers sitting in a filing cabinet in Delaware somewhere. That's basically what Canada is. Canada is a uh, a, a bunch of papers um, filed away in the British Archives somewhere. That's pretty much all we are. That's interesting. I I was not aware of that. Yeah. Sorry. Did you have any more anything more to add there, Karen? 
Oh, no, I, I have a lot more to add about the monarchy, but I think I'm going to wait because I want to talk about something positive now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to find positive things to talk about, for sure. No, no, but there are some really positive things to talk about. Um, and I, I thank you very much for the call, Raina. Um, and, yeah, and please, you, if, you wanna, if you want to hop back up uh, you, after we, after we broke, our, broke our next topic, feel free to, to hop back up. But, um, yeah, Karen, uh, do you want to talk about the good news? Yeah, well, I want to hear from you because you were in New York um, talking to the amazing people, uh, workers of Amazon mm-hmm. down in Staten Island there, yeah. who uh, uh, voted to unionize for the first time in, in history, uh, an Amazon warehouse in the United States, which is a huge deal. It is the biggest corporation in the world, the most uh, financially, you know, whatever, um, capitalist uh well, the funny, the funny thing about and, Amazon and, 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 and this, just these workers were able to do this. Amazing. So please tell us about what you, you want to know something interesting about Amazon. Mm-hmm. Amazon doesn't really make money. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that why they're increasing no, their fucking prime? No, uh, they have, <laughs> they have a massive market cap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, uh, so their services like Amazon web services, um, like they're, they're sort of like secondary and tertiary, business operations um, are able to turn a profit. But as a whole, the company has not generally been very profitable until recently. Like its its model wasn't really on making money. Its model was on being backed by VC investors, um, partners, shareholders, et cetera, that enabled them to do one thing, which was to undercut every retail operation in existence and essentially uh, monopolize and centralize America's retail economy. So what Walmart attempted to do, but it, being a bricks and mortar store, it incurred costs. It had to hire uh, public employees. And at the same time, like when you, when you have that kind of a public facing retail operation, your shareholders are generally expecting profits because you're a traditional business. But when it comes to being an internet based business, None of that actually has to make sense for investors. What makes sense for investors is the possibility or the likelihood that at some unspecified point in the future, you will be able to turn unprecedented profits based on this disruptive model that you've adopted. And Amazon was, especially being that it was one of the few uh, tech companies that was around during the dot-com boom um, in the late 90s, it was one of the only ones that that survived. So, you know, uh, eBay and Amazon, I yeah, EB, Amazon, and Yahoo were like one of the uh, some of the very few ones um, that made it. Companies like uh, Pets.com and I, man, I couldn't even tell you the the amount of like nonsensical names that came out of that era uh, that that just disappeared. Um, but yeah, well, Amazon started off with the uh, the ability to sell books to people, and then it began to sell accessories, and then it began to sell electronics, and then it began to sell everything. So um, its operations are were mostly founded on um, fast delivery of those goods. And back in the 90s, when you ordered a book off of Amazon, um, you would normally expect to wait somewhere between about like, you know, seven and 10 business days to get what you'd ordered. So it wasn't as convenient as being able to go to a Barnes and Noble, but oftentimes it was cheaper. Uh, companies like Barnes and Noble, I think, um, and uh, oh my gosh, I can't even remember the names of uh, some of those booksellers. Um, from back then, and I, I lived in the states Borders, too. So, like yeah, Borders, Borders. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, yeah, and those are those are places that I love to hang out and just sit, like sit and read books. I remember I used to spend so, them, many, yeah. so many hours there. Yeah, yeah, um, but those companies didn't adopt the online model because they thought it was sort of a flash in the pan. And in, in many ways, that they were right. Like if you were a company, if you were a company like Walmart or a company like Toys R Us, like for the time being, you actually were correct that this internet based uh, model of commerce was not sustainable because the internet hadn't developed well enough. Um, uh, the ability to like to perform financial transactions, uh, the, the com- almost complete lack of security. Like it was almost every other week that you heard about some sort of security breach that, uh, you know, that, that gave people's credit card information away. So the reason I'm going um, all the way back into history like this is because there was once upon a time that Amazon was considered like a scrappy underdog to companies like Borders and Books a Million and Barnes and Noble, but also to companies like Walmart, which was at the time like the face of like rapacious capitalism that sought to destroy every mom and pop industry and, and subsume the entire retail sector under its own ages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then what Amazon ended up becoming was a success story for somebody like Jeff Bezos, who, you know, as with all um, internet founders, there's, there's always a mythology surrounding them that they were just like, you know, somebody who came up from nothing that built themselves into something and, and so on and so on. Even though like Jeff Bezos, his, his family, like his family was not poor by any stretch of the imagination, right? Like he, he had relatives that were like high up in, in public service. You know, he was raised on his, um, on his, uh, on his uh, granddad's farm. And, you know, the, the, his, his family, even though he himself, um, didn't, I'm sorry about that. Is he, am I still here? Yeah. I lost my yeah, signal for a second. Yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway, I, uh, I say all that to say that, uh, yeah, uh, that, uh, Jeff Bezos, like there is this, uh, the, oh, I know exactly why this is happening. Are you there? Yeah, I know why this is happening. Is there a phone call? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for a uh, fundraiser that I have to attend, but I'll, I'll call the person back. But anyway, yeah, the, where I wanted to go with this, and I'll wrap up the story quickly. Um, so Amazon, I think, got by for a very long time on its lack of union representation because it was sort of two things at once. It was the 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 the, the, the little engine that could, the little scrappy company, the little scrappy upstart that was competing with the big boys. Um, so unionization would have decimated the company before it had any, had a chance to threaten a company like Walmart. And then um, writing that mythology all the way to essentially being the de facto retail company of the United States, somehow it continued to maintain that aura and Bezos himself continued to maintain this mystique of a, you know, like a, a tech and VC founder um, that was able to take his company from, absolute nothing that he founded in his garage to a, a, an almost overnight success story. And what everyone forgot about in the process of that thought about in the meantime was what was, what is life like for the average worker at Amazon? Like what is life like for people that have to work in those warehouses? What people, what life is like for the delivery drivers, et cetera. And I think it's only been in about the, the last like eight or nine years that anyone has been able to take a close look at this and talk about, what conditions Amazon is putting its workers through. And so it, I, I say all that to say, it's been incredible to <clears throat> sit and talk with people that have, I mean, we already, we already know about the, it's become almost a meme about the labor conditions of Amazon workers that they have to pee in bottles, um, that they like get overheated during their shifts because they don't turn on the air conditioning at the fulfillment centers. And when they faint, they'll like, they'll, they'll 
send a worker out in an ambulance to the hospital, not pay for their health care, but then call in somebody else that was waiting on a job and tell them to come and fill the shift. Like it's basically been um, it's turned workers into disposable automatons. And it's only when you talk to the workers and hear some of their stories that you understand like, oh my God, this company is this company, the people that work for it from the top down are just some of the most gruesome people that you could possibly imagine. Not only should they not be in charge of other people, like they shouldn't be in charge of their lives, much less in charge of their paycheck, much less in charge of telling them what to do on a day-to-day basis. They should probably be institutionalized. Like there should, there should be like 5250s out for a lot of these people. So uh, somebody like Chris Malls, um, when, he's, when he alerts the company to the fact that at, uh, in the uh, opening round of the, 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 the COVID crisis, when there was no vaccine on the way, um, there was no um, coherent public health and safety message. Like this is back when we thought uh, everything that we touched could be carrying the virus, that it remains on um, stainless steel surfaces for X amount of time, but it can also be transmitted through like books. And, and we thought that like if we were, I don't know, like outdoors around people that maybe, I don't know, breathing that you stood a risk of catching the virus just by being outdoors. Like this is back when um, a New Zealand politician was publicly pilloried for going out for a bike ride um, because we, we thought that it was that contagious. So at that time, when we were like at peak panic for COVID, uh, Chris Smalls brought it to the attention of management that they were not engaging in proper, proper safety protocols, that workers are working too close together, that they ought to have face masks, they weren't provided with these masks that um, workers were coming were coming in sick and not being allowed to go home. Or even if they were sent home, they were not sent home with pay. So they had an incentive to lie and cover up their illness and then infect other workers. He was bringing that to management's attention and trying to negotiate with management to have stronger safety protocols. And for that, they fired him. Now, they will say that he endangered other workers, that he came to work when he wasn't supposed to, and so on and so on. I know this because I wrote a story about uh, uh, privacy in the age of coronavirus, and I happened to mention um, the story of uh, Chris Malls and the Amazon warehouse. And uh, when the article was published, almost immediately, I got an email from the Amazon's PR agency demanding that in the body of the article, um, I offer a correction, to which I said, no. <laughs> anyway, um, when yeah. When was this? Uh, May of 2020. I wrote an article for my claims. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, it was it was it was annoying. Um, not only did they did they fire the guy, they also smeared his reputation. And I think what came out of that was him essentially embarking on a probably the best revenge campaign that you could possibly conceive of, and saying, "All right, well, if you don't want to give us safety protocols in a non-unionized environment." I will unionize the environment and you'll have to give us safety protocols. And, uh, you know, a couple of years later, here's where we are. I, I got to put into, Can you tell yeah. us, can you t- tell me, like, how does that happen? That like, you get fired and then yeah. how do you turn around? It's, it's incredible. It feels to me like some kind of magic, <laughs> you know? It's, like, I mean, it's not, well, it did take a couple of years, right? So this is, t- keep in mm-hmm. mind, this is two years of hanging out and, and, you know, he's not working at that job, right? And 
obviously he's you know working menial jobs to keep himself afloat and relying on GoFundMe's, etc., <clears throat> that aren't even attracting very much money in the first place. Um, and he wasn't getting the help from the kind of people that you'd expect. So regardless of the fact that now you'll see the DSA, for example, talking about um, the power of workers, uh, that you'll see <clears throat> local Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, you know, uh, cheering them on and saying good for you. None of these people were around at the time because they thought the victory um, over Amazon wasn't going to be accomplished at the labor level. They thought it was going to be accomplished at the legislative level. So they didn't. They weren't going to be seen out organizing with these workers. Um, they weren't going to be like hanging out on cold winter nights, offering people food. Like you know, uh, coming out there with like uh, with with like fried chicken or or tacos, weed. They were <laughs> they were offering them weed. Like they weren't hanging out to make friends with these workers and and explain to them the importance of unionizing and the fact that unionizing is not as I mean there is hard work behind it because you have to get to know all of the workers and bring them over to your side, but as, as a matter of um, uh, what's what's involved in forming a union from a paperwork standpoint, like from a bureaucratic standpoint, it actually isn't all that difficult. The difficulty is in organizing the workers. Once you've done that, then it's almost like a landslide towards ratifying the union. He did all that uh, for a very long time, practically on his own. He was able to talk to other workers at the plant and many people who uh, saw that he got fired for trying to organize for better safety conditions that ended up radicalizing them into wanting to help wanted to help him form the union. So about a dozen workers, including a, a friend of mine, Justine Medina, um, who at the time when he was fired, she was working for AOC. Uh, she ended up leaving that job and helping the... She came in a little bit later than the rest. So I think there was probably about uh, seven or eight people um, working with what would become the Amazon Labor Union. And she came on a little bit later she came on as what's called a salter. So a, a salter is somebody who gets hired at the workplace um, and they apply for the job and they get hired for the purpose of helping to organize that union. So they're going to go like on their breaks, talk to people in the warehouse, talk to them on their breaks and explain to them why they should be unionizing. And essentially like, uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly how to explain wow. it, but it's like, it's like turning all the red tiles blue is probably the best way that I can say it. So, so there's uh, a whole like or literally organized yeah. effort to like bring the workers together like in a yep. I mean this must be something that Amazon and other companies try to crack down on like that's part of what they do right Yeah and they absolutely it's they not. don't want those kinds of workers in their workplaces so they do engage yeah. in lengthy background checks they 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 do try to make sure that they keep these workers out of the warehouse as much as possible but there's also the fact that they need bodies in the warehouse so on the one hand, they're willing to um, essentially chew workers up and spit them out. But when you burn through workers that fast, you kind of take whatever help you can get. So the kind of background checking that would go into, let's say, more of a white collar job, like let's say if you were like management or an executive, doesn't get conducted the same way with your average um, fulfillment worker, right? Like they're basically order pickers. So if, if you're a body and you show up and you don't have a criminal record, generally, yeah, sure, they'll hire you. So you can just like, I don't know, leave stuff off your resume that might implicate yourself as somebody who would be willing to go ahead and form a union. Leave that stuff off, and oftentimes they just won't do the necessary checking. Once you're in the workplace, 
then Bob's your uncle. You go off and you, you do that kind of work. So there were a few that came on as Salters, Justine uh, being one among them. And um, out of their collective efforts, uh, again, this is only a dozen or so people that are organizing a workplace of over 2,000, which is very, like, that is very hard to do. And they did that by, like, uh, you know, setting up tables outside the warehouse, offering people snacks, offering people food. What well, what do I have to do? Do I have to, like, sign a pledge? Do I do any paperwork? Do I register? Nope. No, nope. All you have to do is vote yes when the vote comes around. That's all you have to do. So take some information if you want. If you don't want it, that's fine as well. Um, but when the voting day comes around, we hope that you'll vote yes. And that's essentially what happened. And, they, and it worked. And not only did it work for that fulfillment center, you should also know that that fulfillment center, uh, JFK 8, is right across from LBJ 5. Um, so these two fulfillment centers, something to the order of like 30% of all Amazon parcels among the along the eastern seaboard will pass through those two fulfillment centers. So if a massive, let's say, labor or um, a labor... Uh, movement, let's say it's a, uh, a strike or a walkout or anything of that sort, a work to rule, breaks out at those warehouses, assuming that LBJ5 is unionized, it could actually create a gigantic choke point for Amazon and stop them from being able to fulfill on their deliveries. So the amount of leverage that they're able to exercise just in these two warehouses is huge. And if they're able to do that for these massive warehouses, imagine what kind of domino effect it has for the other warehouses. So for example, mm -hmm. if, and I brought this up before, uh, the building where I used to work, where I had my first job as a grocery picker for National Grocers, well, that's now an Amazon fulfillment center on Mill Creek Drive in Mississauga, also one of the largest uh, fulfillment centers in Canada. Um, if, let's say, the workers who uh, organized at LBJ5 and JFK8 were able to make it up to Canada and talk to workers about how to organize their workplaces, uh, or at the Scarborough Fulfillment Center, which did attempt to unionize, and then Amazon just went ahead and fired all the workers... If, if they're able to, to pass on that knowledge to those uh, workers in those, those fulfillment centers, you know, imagine what's possible for the company. Um, and then on top of that, you, know, you have multiple Starbucks locations that have not only voted to unionize, but have done so unanimously. There are Starbucks locations where every single worker out of, let's say, like 11 workers in a, in a Boston Starbucks, all 11 voted to unionize. And this has happened at like eight different Starbucks in the last two or three days. So, yeah, I, I would say that, you know, despite all of the negative and oftentimes depressing political news and, and the way that, like, our political and media class is absolutely failing us, you look on the bright side and all of these workers are just doing their thing. And they're, they're doing the job of actually leading revolutionary politics. Yeah, I mean, I know Chris Smalls has even come out and said something like this is a revolution, right? Like, he's, he's not even, like, he's not even, like, holding back. I mean, I love yeah. that, you know? Because I think that it's so important that, like, first of all, that it's beautiful. Like, it's music to my ears. <laughs> I used to work at Starbucks um, long ago. And, oh, my God, imagine. Like, I can only imagine if we had been unionized. Like, wow. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, that must be amazing. And, you know, like, you know, trade unionism, oh, it, it's, uh, it's so basic. Like, why? I don't understand why everybody's not unionized. But I know why. I mean, obviously, there's huge amount of propaganda that people are are led to believe that you know that it's uh bad for them somehow even though it's like it, it ends up making people more money more job stability more benefits like why is that but you know generally i mean you know for the most part you know like it's it's like 
it's not even like some of the more difficult parts of being like uh, you know anti-war or something you know it's just like it's totally pure self-interest yeah and people still are so but so it's amazing what they achieve there and uh, the, the the workers there in staten island like holy cow it is incredible and you were there until so you met with them and you interviewed some of them right yeah so i was able to uh get an interview with uh with with justine medina um i <clears throat> sat outside the uh the fulfillment center and watched his workers who were on their break and they don't have like a you know like a half an hour or one hour break like some of us white collar workers do they have like 10 to 15 minutes at a time you know they won't um sit in a break room and eat or chat, they'll go out to their cars and eat. So, uh, and, and they'll just get whatever they can pick up from the vending machine. Uh, and on top of that, there's nowhere, like there's no restaurant, there's no fast food joints, there's nowhere. If you like, if you go out to where the fulfillment center is, it's basically just a gigantic industrial park. So there's, there's like, there's nowhere to go besides your car to sit and eat. And what they did was uh, set up a table with, uh, you know, snacks like uh, mandarins and Snickers bars and, you know, apples and other fresh fruit, um, and, you know, soda water, uh, and, uh, Pepsi and just ask people to take a paper with them or to follow the Amazon labor union on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, et cetera, get more information. And the vote, uh, for the LBJ five center is going to be on the 25th of April. And inshallah, I will be able to make it back down to New York city hopefully to, to stay for the entire week and watch the process from beginning to end. Um, but yeah, the, the idea here is that, uh, you know, they're going to have a union vote for the LBJ five center. And if it wins, then they've got two of the biggest warehouses in the Eastern seaboard. Amazing. And that they're facing now, I know Amazon is gearing up to like present some like resistance. Like how is that? How is the backlash? Uh, well, the, the backlash was immediate from Amazon that they, they accused the National Labor Relations Board of acting improperly, uh, and they spread some pretty horrendous smears about some of the workers. So their, um, their treasurer, they implied was in a sexual relationship with Chris Smalls. Not true. They also implied their treasurer. And by the way, this is, is uh, you know, it's, it's a, a young woman. She, I don't think she could be more than like 24, 25 years old. Um, they implied that she was responsible for the suicide of one of the workers at the LBJ five plant. Also not true. So what happened was that, uh, there was a, a worker who I won't name in, in this call and chat. Um, but, uh, a worker was, was fired by Amazon, uh, and went home and took his life. And there's, there's a memorial to him outside of the LBJ five center. There's, you know, there's candles, um, that are, that are kept burning. And, you know, one of the, the votives had his, his picture on it, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they said that one of the organizers was a misogynist and used like, uh, used like a misogynist slur towards his superior. You know, he said that's also not true and he's taking them to court over it. So they've, they've been, they've been acting up, uh, during the course of the union vote and afterwards. But the, on the upside, I mean, they're fighting a losing battle here. You know, they spent $4.2 million opposing this union drive and they still lost, you know, the, the GoFundMe for the Amazon labor union, I think collected less than $150,000 and they won. So uh, if the city, if there's any reason to have hope in the future, I think that that's it, that, you know, workers are seeing how much leverage they have right now and are willing to exercise it. 
and the political class that have been essentially acting as like sheepdogs uh, and have also been trying to tamp down the overzealous, overzealousness of workers in an attempt to, I don't know, forge relationships with these companies. And I'm not sure exactly how they think they're going to get better conditions for these workers, but that's what they're trying to do. Well, none of that's been working. And essentially we've been seeing more le- more leadership from the working class than from the political class, which is, in my opinion, the way that that ought to be. Which is how it always is. Yeah. yeah. The working class has to wake up and, and do it because there's ultimately it's, it's, it is literally up to us because the people who are in these positions of power at best, they're only, they're lazy. They're not going to fucking do anything until they know that there's real fire under their asses. Yeah. And that's at best. Most of them are not even going to, they're actually actively uh, against us. So yeah, that's amazing. That's so amazing. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And, and because I think it's got made such big news, like it's all over you know, I don't think it's going to be that easy to, to just, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, this is big news. So I think this is like getting so much traction. It's getting so much attention. And I think that's going to go in their favor too. Right. Like, well, I I did hear one question during the press conference that made my teeth itch. And that was, uh, one of the reporters at the press conference asked smalls said, Hey, uh, when are you going to run for political office? And I wanted to walk over and put that man in a full Nelson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why would you ask him a question like that? No, no, you do not want him to run for political office. Are you out of your mind? No. You know, and, and, no. and what, like what, you know, saying that we need people like you. Well, he's doing exactly what it is out of office. Like while not in office, he's accomplishing more than people who are in office. So what do you mean we need people like you? He is people like him, and he's doing the thing that you need. So pipe down. Yeah, yeah. well, that's the thing over there. There's, like, this constant need to, like, co-opt, you know? They just want to, like, co-opt anybody. And, yeah. And um, and I also, I love that Chris Smalls has, you know, I, I think they tried to use the sort of, you know, uh, anti-black sort of, uh, you know, rhetoric against him, right? So, like, yeah. the, the uh, that was part of it, right? I, I, I read somewhere that, Amazon actually tried to put him as like a, a boogeyman that, you know, like why you shouldn't unionize because like, Oh boy. Like, yeah. So the, yeah, they called, they said that he was, uh, they didn't call him a thug, but they said that he's like inarticulate that he's, uh, they, they essentially said that he's like not a good representative of what a unionization, unionization effort should look like. And not just to, um, say that he isn't a good dude, but also because if they made him, the face of the uh, unionization movement, then all you have to do is sit back, back and wait on this thug to do some thug shit, and then that'll discredit the entire movement. Well, despite the fact that he wears Jordans, that he wears a do-rag, that he's always got shades on, that, he, uh, that he's got grills, like he's got gold fronts, despite all of that, he still fucking won. <laughs> so, yeah. in your face. <laughs> I love that. I fucking yeah. love that. Oh, that is so, oh, so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I've been just like so ecstatic at even like, and then the story, I want to read more. Actually, I have, um, apparently they did, he and some of the others did, uh, Amazon space, uh, sorry, a Twitter space, uh, a few like days ago, yeah. and I haven't listened to all of it. It's like very, it's like six hours. I didn't, I didn't get to listen to it. Like by the time, like by the time I got back from New York, I was so washed that I just, I could not. 
sit and listen to Twitter space for any length of time. But yeah, uh, I, I had heard about what was said in that space and I was like, yeah, it sounds exactly like the guy that, uh, sounds exactly like the guy that was in front of the cameras on Friday. Um, yeah. you know, and, and the fact that he is somebody that believes deeply in revolutionary politics, that he's not going to change who he is. He's not going to go, he's not going to put on a suit and tie and make himself more presentable for an audience that wants to see a polished politician. I think that's great. I think that, like that is exactly how any workers' movement should be. That you don't um, assimilate into the larger body politic or into the uh, you know the, the the bourgeois political class. You be exactly who you are, and you lead as a worker, not as a politician. Exactly. I love that. That is like the best part of all of this. I mean, I mean there's many good parts, but for me, I feel like that 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 people need to see that um, you know it's it, it's not something that. It's just a performance. Everything's so fucking fake out there, you know? Yeah. It feels, it, it, it looks well, <laughs> The amount of smoke, by the way, that they have for AOC is just, it's, uh, it's going to be hilarious. That will always be hilarious to me. You know, the first thing that uh-huh. people ask, uh, oh, you know, uh, did, did you get help from AOC? No. Does AOC uh-huh. defer, deserve credit for any of this? No. Why are you even talking to me about her? She didn't help us. We asked her to come out and she didn't. Oh, but she had a scheduling conflict. Okay. You know, does she know what a reschedule is? <laughs> right. uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, and he was like, uh, he was saying like, oh, this she doesn't get to have this moment. And he said the same thing about, uh, uh, who else did he, there was, there was a few others. He was basically saying like, no, the politicians don't get to have this. It's the workers. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 Amazing stuff. I'm so inspired. I hope he comes up here. Maybe you can invite him over. <laughs> Uh, if he ever, if I will definitely, like I said, if I if I'm able to make it down there um, at the end of the month, I, I I most certainly will be inviting the workers up to uh, up to Toronto. I it would be great if any of them would be able to talk to the workers at the fulfillment centers up here. Obviously, like it has to be an organic workers movement, so workers up here also have to like take it upon themselves to organize as well. But yeah, it would be great to to see that kind of um, you know camaraderie across borders. Yeah, just you know some inspiration and solidarity. I think would be amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so cool. And also, I love he how he said like at some point he said he said thank you to uh, Jeff Bezos for going to space because while he was up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> while he was out there in space, we were yep we were down here organizing. That was great. I love that's that. a, <laughs> The, like he comes up with some ad libs that are just like so wild and they're so, so like they're just on point, and it's just it's funny how they labeled him inarticulate and he's rhetorically he's just like running circles around them. Yeah, yeah, he's very uh, like hi, there's nothing that Amazon has said publicly about this union. There's nothing that any of the representatives have said, nothing that they've done that like they've just gotten bodied left, right, and center by this guy. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, yeah, I just wanted us to kind of, you know, bring that up and, and see if uh, at least have some positivity because, God, we need it. I need that. I need some goddamn good news. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, no, no, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely good news. And I think that, I, I, like, all of the stuff has ripple effects, right? So I think just about, first of all, I know the IWW, like, they're just, like... <laughs> Screaming themselves right now, right? Like they're 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 reading Jane McAlvey and they're like uh you know trying to like organize people into their one on ones. Um, I know there's been like a lot of excitement around the uh, the various communist parties 
uh, you know, both the chapters in Canada and the chapters in the United States, like there's, there's a lot of excitement right now. So, um, a lot of this, uh, information that people have gotten on organizing has come from comrades. Like it's, it's come from people in our party chapters that have gone out to these workplaces and let the workers know like, Hey, if you're, if you're looking to organize, you know, we can give you the basic steps and you run with it. And you know, whenever you need us to show up, we'll show up. So I, I think that, uh, I mean, to me, this is exactly the way that it's supposed to happen. It was never going to come from the political class. And I think that um, waiting for people to vote or to, um, I don't know, like tip the balance of the of Congress or Senate was always going to be a losing proposition. And you, you can't, the political class by definition cannot be the ones to lead. It has to be the people who lead. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always got to be people powered. That's the only way anything gets done. And then yeah. the political class is going to follow once we have a people's movements that are organized on the ground that that holds them you know actually holds them to account and 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 that's that needs to happen across the board i mean obviously it's starting to happen with trade unions it needs to happen across the board for example with anti-war anti-war yeah. movements like literally as we've been talking about it and it's connected it's not just a moral issue the anti-war stuff that we do that i do it's not moral i mean of course it's moral but it's also more than that. It is literally our money or money that is owed to us that is being sent or being used up by weapons. It's a, it's a, it's a money laundering scheme, you know? The government mm. takes our money, they, the state takes our money and gives it to Raytheon. That's all that happens, you know? It, it, so it's a money laundering. It's, it's privatizing public funds and it's done in the, in the auspices of, oh, they're doing it for our protection. It's a fucking protection racket. Right. And, and it, it's, in the, in, the, in the billions of dollars. Meanwhile, they're cutting all of our services, even in Canada. You know, people say Canada has universal health care. Yeah, I guess it is better. Yes, it is better. I'm not going to deny that it is better than what they have in the U.S. in terms of, you know, emergency care and things like that. But there's a lot of shit that's privatized here. A lot. Okay? There's a lot of shit that costs money that's not free or cheap. You know, physiotherapy, um, health, uh, um, uh, pharma care, um, all dentistry. kinds of stuff that, yeah, de- for, oh my God, dentistry, eye care. These are all things that are not covered. And I'm sorry, you can't go around without your teeth or your eyes or without medication. And sometimes with physio, if you get injured or you have some kind of thing, you, you, you know, I have had an injury for a, a while that I cannot get resolved because it fucking physio costs $160, uh, one per session and I need like 20 sessions. So yeah. my point is that, um, my point is that, um, you know, these are all things that should be that we sh- that we as a society, as a country, should be paying for and and getting. But instead, all, all of our money, Canada is increasing um, military budget by eight billion dollars, eight billion, and it's going to actually increase by seventeen billion over the next nine years. It just came out, like the the, the budget that just came out by Christia, you know, Nazi Grandpa Freeland. And and these this is this is not just about the moral issues side of it. This is practically robbing from the people and giving money to weapons companies. And 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 we need that kind of groundswell too, you know, like in, in all of these places. So I'm just I'm just really glad that it's happening at all. I, I feel like it's just the beginning and, and I can't wait for it to grow all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um but uh yeah, that's uh that's pretty much all that I uh, the, all the updates that I have. Um, 
I think it's uh, time. I mean, we've been on this for well over two hours now. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you've heard me going about my chores because I have to like do my cleaning up before the, the girls come home from daycare. But uh, are there any final thoughts you have before we go? Um. Well, I mean, there's a lot we didn't, you know, even get to talk about, like the whole thing in Pakistan, which we don't have to touch on, but it's still. It's very complicated. Oh, I have um, I have deliberately avoided talking about that because I I, I don't want to be I don't want to be caught in the crossfire. Well, yeah. So there's 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 complications, but I am from Pakistan. I have family in Pakistan, and I speak the language, and I understand the nuances. And I feel like people don't want to, you know, they want to either take. you know, some kind of stupid position which isn't, like, informed, or they want to act, you know, there's a lot of liberalism for coming from a lot of Pakistanis, and I don't want to get into all of it right now, but there's a lot that we can talk about, and I actually held a space uh, on Saturday, and we talked a lot about this, some of this stuff, so, um, but I think it is important that we not deny that there is a larger imperialist effort, to whether it's uh, deliberately, you know, uh, this specific instance is something that you can like point to a particular CIA operation or not. That's maybe not the case, but there is an ongoing Pakistan is a puppet state of the United States and has been forever. And I think that that is the underlying thing that I feel like a lot of people don't know about or don't understand or don't want to admit even. And I'm talking about Pakistanis and not just, you know, the people outside. So anyway, I mean, we don't have to get into that tonight today. It's too late. I'm getting tired. I'm getting a headache. But, um, <laughs> you know, we can maybe talk about it Thursday if you want or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, we can, we can discuss that happens. on Thursday. Or let's see what happens between now and Thursday. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the uh, the Guardian will write another article about this petulant prime minister who's just so uh, – he's just, he's just sucking his thumb and whining because, I don't know, he was democratically elected and then ousted in the coup. Sport, yeah, yeah. Whining brat. Which one? Imran Khan. There was an article in The Guardian saying that he's petulant <laughs> because uh, he's yeah. upset about being oh. ousted. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that's, know, how, he, that's how we, yeah, go ahead. He's kind of like the Bernie Sanders. Like, people, like what I tell, I'm like, people need to understand that he's not a revolutionary, but he's not a right winger either. He's not a Trump. He's more like a Bernie Sanders figure and not necessarily, it's not a one to one connection. But, you know, the way that in the, in 2015, 2016, there was this upswell, this huge movement around Bernie, and yeah. then it kind of fizzed out. But there was that uh, that energy was there. And I feel like that energy, needs, you know, it's something that people who are, you know, they shouldn't be dismissed. It should not be looked down on. It should not be dismissed. It doesn't even matter if the figurehead is not all there and if the figurehead is just, you know, um, not the most revolutionary person, but it's the energy and, and and that people who are interested in revolution or people who are who are working towards that, you know, they should be able to like ride that wave or get in somehow, be able to use that energy to that people because already people are politicized, right? That's what that means is that people are listening, people are interested in politics all of a sudden, and uh, maybe who haven't been for a long time or ever, and so we need to be able to like. Um, get out there and meet the people where they are and then, you know, slowly sort of like what, you know, they did in, in Staten Island, sort of like meet people where they are and then get them to a, a higher like level of consciousness when it comes to class consciousness. But you have to meet people where they are. And if they're already out there on the streets, riled up, and they're saying things like, you know, America should not be controlling Pakistan's like destiny, 
you know, imperialism and whatever, and the military industrial complex there, which is actually what controls that country. You know, my my whole, uh, you know, there's some people on the sort of left in Pakistan that feel like, oh, this is just all just a big, you know, um, sort of, I don't know, some kind of like, you know, they think it's some kind of a bourgeois uprising, right? Like some kind of petty bourgeois uprising. And it might be, I mean, but I don't think that that's all it is. There are people of various classes who are actually, um, who are part of this sort of um, appeal to like, or like want to, like who are protesting against what happened. So I feel like, you know, I've been having these arguments with people on Twitter and here and there about it. I'm like, you know, while they're not all there, they're not all socialists or anything, but they are out there trying, they, they do understand better than they ever did before the power of imperialism and the Pakistani military you know, establishment in how much it controls these things. And while they have been complacent in the past, I feel like they're getting in a place where they are no longer as complacent or don't want to be anymore. And that is the moment of opportunity that I think that we can, like, you know, you know, uh, understand better. So that's been my, my position. But I mean, it's really hard to convey, especially on fucking Twitter, where everything is, just you know, one liners and stuff. So um, anyway, but maybe we can talk about it another time or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was great talking to you. And and by the way, thanks to everybody in the uh, the room. Thanks to all of our uh, guests who called in. We always encourage you to do so. Um, and as long as we have the ability to talk your ear off, we will be on this show. I also want to mention that uh, if you would like the show and you want to support us, uh, please visit patreon.com forward slash the culture dot tv patreon.com forward slash d the culture d-o-t-t-v um that enables you to not only uh support this show but also the uh monday afternoon stream uh with myself uh comrade taley and hassan and amanda Yi, as well as the canuck cast on wednesdays of which uh kieran is also often a guest and on top of that, the New Frankfurt School podcast, a uh, theory-based podcast that uh, is delved into by our comrades um, uh, Michael Petroselli and uh, Browning Bestuer. And on top of that, uh, there's going to be a, a new Substack coming out and uh, additional video essays by yours truly. So if uh, this is the kind of stuff that you want to support, uh, please visit our Patreon and uh, help us in whatever way that you Awesome. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for checking us out. And you know, come back on Thursday. We usually come on at uh, Tuesday and Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern um, at this call-in app. So um, check it out and hopefully come back up and say hello um, to us sometime. You know, you can you can join us with voice. So Sounds... have a good day. All Bye. Right, take care. You. Bye. Thanks. See ya.